Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Hey, this is Charlie Benante with Anthrax, and you are listening to the Shout It Out Loudcast with Tom and Zeus. Wow. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Shout It Out Loudcast. Don't turn your radio dial. You're in the right place because the album review crew is back with episode 34. We are calling this one Tell Her. Oh, God. That the sweetness on today's topic could be, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get on with it so we can go find the river to go night swimming in. Tommy, Zeus, how are you? Wow, I can't believe you didn't say an everybody hurts reference with that no, intro. Right I, you there. know, I really wanted to do the tell her. Oh, well, I mean, it, well, it's Saturday morning. It's 10 o'clock. It uh, was uh, Saturday morning. It was Saturday morning. I'm, I'm drinking coffee. I'm in my old man's slippers talking about REM with you two Jamokes. So I, I don't know if life gets any better than this right now. What a fantastic way to start the weekend. Jamokes. I haven't, oh man. I haven't used that. I haven't used that word in a while. Jamokes. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, the uh that's a good that was a good one there, Sonny. I wasn't sure where you would go with it, but um I think we will save the night swimming naked, me, you, and Tommy for the pay-per-view. For the that'll that'll be a Patreon exclusive. <laughs> Imagine the viewership. It'll be a new oh, tier. Doing that. Yeah. Do you want to see the album review crew night swimming? They Here's can a- see us naked. <laughs> oh, man. Yikes. Well, we're back. This one's a little bit off the grid, but uh, I've been waiting for this one. This one's my pick 
So I've been yep. waiting to do this. And uh, I'll get into more details about it afterwards. But as usual, we go backwards before we go forward. And last time we had Sonny's pick. Sonny had taken you. Did I just almost say you two? You two. You do. <laughs> you two. Uh, Sonny had taken YNT Black Tiger. Did, did we remember to do a poll? We did remember to do a oh. poll. Ah, we wait, did. Wait. Did we remember to thank Tony? Uh, nope. You just did it. So thanks, Tony. Yeah. We'll we'll thank done you ne- next. We'll, yeah, done <laughs> next. We'll thank you next month when we're all sleeping together in the same room on the cruise. The thing about it is, like, I like to remember, like, if we can remember this, because I'm always setting this up for Sonny, putting it on a T. Here you go. Then we mentioned Tony. Go ahead, Sonny. Here's your part. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck him. All right. Oh, come on. <laughs> Yeah, so what was the poll this week, Tom? So, yeah, we did Black Tiger Sorry. by what was the poll this month? <laughs> so we did Black Tiger by Y&T, Sonny's pick. Uh, and as always, we pick four songs. Everybody votes Forever, Open Fire, Barroom Boogie, and Black <laughs> Tiger. I, I don't understand this. I don't understand how 47% went to Forever. Oh, oh of course. God, what's the matter with it's you awesome. people? Great song. No. Uh, and then uh, we, we got classic. we got a comment from one of our favorites. Dizzy Dean's picket fence teeth chimed in. He said, write in vote for my way or the highway. Oh, what is the? I'm so embarrassed for all of you people. Let's see. Lee Graham. Not only is this my favorite song from the album, talking about forever, but it's also one of my favorite Y&T songs, period. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, and then some episode specific comments here. Uh, people are really surprised and excited about this. Uncle Polly says, I love this. I agree 100% with Zeus. This guy sounds like Sammy Hagar. I liked what I heard and want to listen to more. Also glad to hear that they have a diverse catalog. Looking forward to getting into these guys. Yeah, nice. Isn't that what we do this kind of for, Tom? Sonny? Yeah, exactly. Like you introduced something that you really enjoy, and mm-hmm. now someone says that. Yeah, work is done. That's it for album review crew. We're finished. Yep. Thank you for listening. <laughs> then we got a good one from Vet Halen from the creators of Shout It Out Loudcast and the team that brought you the Zeppelin Chronicles and album review crew comes the Porn Stars and Politicians <laughs> podcast coming soon. Chicolina from where is she from? Hungary, Italy, whatever. A former Italian Hungarian porn star politician. <laughs> This is what we do. This is this is our these are our listeners. Uh, Doctor Two, great episode. I like how Tom and Zeus wanted to hate it, but ended up liking. It. I never wanted to hate this. I did. Okay. I well, because it's Sonny's. That's why he wanted to hate it. <laughs> I'm like fuck him because especially I'm going to regret it after he talks about this album. Oh, he's gonna he is going oh, to yeah. burn REM alive today. <laughs> and I'm going to be like fuck. <laughs> I may surprise you. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so he continues. He's like, I think you guys would like Earthshaker even more than Black Tiger. Um, Sonny? No. No. Okay. No. I Thanks do. for the input. I don't. I don't. I don't. Okay. Um, but you won't because there's, that's actually less commercial. I think you would like Mean Street possibly more than you like. I, I have heard a lot of that more. album, the Mean Street yeah, album. Yeah. It's a little more commercial. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Clark's side of the moon, referencing uh, something that we apparently mentioned in the Y&T episode. He says, I'm wondering if Maggie Hassan's crooked piss teeth is is related to Dizzy Dean's picket fence teeth. 
So Dizzy Dean responds, we have the same dad. <laughs> Crooked bits. <laughs> I don't even remember that. Uh, oh, our buddy West Beach. Nice pick, Sonny. Finally, an ARC episode. I can't wait to hear. Uh, come on, Wes. We've done like 30 <laughs> albums. He's going to skip this one. Oh, oh he's, this is going to pop up on his podcast feed and be like, I delete. <laughs> oh, man. Um, let's see. St. Van Halen says, great selection. Uh, yeah, so that, that's what we got for Twitter. Yeah, Sonny, uh, a lot of people coming to your uh Coming to your side and really, really digging the, uh, the the pick. So that was that was always nice to see. So that's what we got for Twitter. All right, over on Facebook, uh, Joe Decker, yeah, Fusion Tech. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you waited for me. I'm like, I could do it, but I thought you guys do it. <laughs> uh, he put a video up, Sonny. I don't know if you saw this on la- on our on our page. Yeah, Sonny Pooney. I have loved this band ever since a friend played Rescue Me which I am playing in this video in 1984 in the ninth grade. Dave is such an amazing guitar player. No flash, no whammy bar tricks, just hands uh, that create a tone guitar players dream about. I haven't seen them 53 times because I guess they didn't get to the East Coast much, but I have seen them four times and they're even better live. Great choice for an underrated band. Yeah, Sonny. That's what we like with ARC. Yep. Jack Pinocchio. C'è una luna mezzumata, mamma mia, mamma di dare. Figlia mia, cosa dare, mamma mia, pensaccia tu. Se te veglia lo pesce, io le sua, esselena, se volo pesce, maladena. Yeah, Sonny, freaking love wine tea. And how dare you, Tom, dislike Volbeat? Oh, terrible band. Terrible band. Dude, I am so out of touch. I'm like, what the fuck is that? You're lucky you've never heard them. They're terrible. <laughs> They're not that bad. They're terrible. Plus, I, I've plus, heard worse. When, plus, when, whenever oh. anybody, <laughs> plus, when, whenever anybody says, "How can you hate X, Y, and Z?" That's when I just double down and be like, "Oh, they're terrible." I just make it worse. But Volby says, uh, "Joey Romanek." You mean America's favorite realtor? <laughs> Why and he sounds like outtakes from the album that Dirk Dickler and <laughs> Chess Rockwell recorded. <laughs> He will rock you. He will roll you. Feel, 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 feel my heat. Oh my, feel my God. heat. Nice reference. Oh, jeez. Sonny put a Spotify playlist on uh, up, and uh, guys, it's still probably there. If you want to go to Sonny's Spotify list, he's got a playlist of wine tea songs he thinks you'll enjoy. Uh, try to stay away from his other probably playlist, though. I, I recommend. <laughs> Um, I got feedback on the playlist. I started getting messengers. <laughs> you missed this song. You missed oh, that song. You that's know, awesome. Really, guys? Oh, Y and T tards. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're not allowed to say. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Our buddy Brad Rustoven. And if you guys remem- remember what I said on the episode, oh my God, I'm dying. Listen to the episode right now and got to the roughhouse part. <laughs> 
as you guys are questioned who they were, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I should post a clip of one of their songs. Zeus, you know me too well. Because we brought up a shit bands from yep. the 80s. Yep. I said Rough House. <laughs> and I was like, you know who would know that? I bet you Brad Russell would know that. And he, know, he knows it. In all seriousness, it. I had no idea who they were until Matt Porter played one of his songs on a Kiss Room episode several years back. They were a hard rock band from Pennsylvania in the late 1980s. Good stuff. I'll tell you to check out their third album. But there wasn't one <laughs> or a second one for that matter. Here's a song from the debut album. He, and he posted it. Oh, God. Kevin Jepsen. Oh, oh, shit. Here we go. When he's not posting conspiracy theories. He oh, writes, Jesus. I know nothing about Y&T, but the singles. I really enjoyed this enough. So I just bought it on eBay. Great pick. Mm, Isn't right. that just it? Perfect. Great job. Sonny wrote back, "You, Kevin, you could have stopped at I know nothing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I forgot I'd written. <laughs> uh, oh, Dennis Holler Houston, listen to this now. I must have gone to high school near Sonny. I lived in Walnut Creek. Oh, yeah. Right next door. <laughs> right, right next to the Concord Pavilion. Saw Y&T for my very first show. Fraley's Comet opened. Thanks, yeah. Paul. Oh, uh, nice. Dave Menachetti apparently was approached by Sharon Osborne after Randy died to audition and told her he was not interested. Why don't you just audition? Because uh, <laughs> he's com- smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got, yeah, he'd be in the band for a year. Get over here, Dave! <laughs> you piece of shit! Uh, dude is completely underrated as a player. Yep. Also, Joey Alves looks like Frankie Carbone from Good Goodfellas. <laughs> There's Frankie nothing Carbone. better than who people look like discussion on uh, Shout Out Loudcast and Album Review Group. And there's nothing better than a Frankie Carbone name drop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Frankie. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Carboni. <laughs> Shane Loudon says, never could get into wine tea, but to each their own. This episode would be like constipation for me. Oh. I'm going to have to work my way into it and push through the pain. Oh, my God. Jesus. Uh, David Vogel, Tom Zeus and Sonny. Great album review spot on. Loved it. I'm a longtime fan of wine tea, just like I am of Kiss. I got to see them for the first time back in 87 and Fraley's Comet opened for them. I've seen them many times. When I was at the Navy station in Lemoore, California, uh, they played a show every year in Fresno at the Tower Theater. In 2001, I got to meet the band. Dave Menichetti is one of my favorite guitar players. Shout out Loudcast is the best podcast, period. Wow. Sound like right. Sinkton Stanley there. Oh, the boy. best podcast. Um, Think of Stanley here, people, and listen. You guys have me laughing my ass off constantly every week. Jokes about my favorite band, Kiss. Well, thank you, David. And he's put a nice picture of him and Dave Manichetti. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Sheldon Bergenheye. Awesome. Great pick. Can't wait to listen. Huge fan. Dale Rose. Zeus comparing the reading to that guy's email to the clips from NWA's message to (laughs) BA was next level pop culture representing. Talking about somebody getting his home, his the rest of his homeboys getting their ass beat at the yes. new seminar music in New York. Yep. 
A message to Benedict Arnold. We're going to cut your head off and fuck you with a broomstick. Think about it, punk motherfucker. Coming up next on ARC, sooner than later, you might hear that album. Oh, that or Snoop. Oof, doggy style. All right. Lee Graham writes, great episode, guys. Black Tiger marked my beginnings as a Y&T fan after reading a 1982 review in Kerrang! magazine. Both as a guitarist and vocalist, Dave Minichetti is among Hard Rock's most underrated, sadly overlooked talents. I've always shared Zeus's observation that his voice is somewhat reminiscent of Hagar, a strength, in my opinion. Back to your review. Always fascinating to hear impressions of other listeners. I agree with some, not with others. I can only imagine growing up with YT as a local band like Sonny did. Like my Pantera experience, having watched the boys grow from local clubs in Dallas, Fort Worth to world domination. As for YT, they opened my first metal concert when they opened for Dio's Holy Diver Tour while touring Mean Street. As you mentioned, Sonny, From the Moon blasted out from the PA. But on this toy was followed by hang them high chills down my spine to this day. Mm, nice. That's the beauty of like we talked about from the moon. Like you can just start it and the guys walk out. You can start with any song you want after that. Yeah. Like yeah. Intro to shame could open up a rat. Oh, uh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it should. <laughs> it's a Open, shame. Grand here, opening. People. Grand closing. <laughs> Over on our loudcasters page, Spencer Wetmore. Says about fucking time. Uh, Mike Brewer says you guys would like Earthshaker better. Yes, yeah, but this one. is part of the Holy Trinity: Earthshaker, Black Tiger, uh, Mean Streak. Then they started working with outside help, and you get Summertime Girls. Hmm. Thoughts, Sonny, on that? It's true. I, Dave didn't want to work with outside, and they were doing fine. Mean Streak, um did okay it wasn't commercially great but their songwriting chops were there yeah the outside writers is just hey you know it's easier to sell a song that taylor Rhodes helped you with than it is when it's the old y&t guys from the 70s right so yep, yep. it is what it is yeah uh cameron johnson guys i just listened to the review i laughed when sunny said i was drunk typing my comments to the avenged review I was drunk on cock. Oh, God. There we go. <laughs> you can't say that without me thinking that thought. Of course. Um, yeah. Nice talk thinking about a 15-year-old drunk off of cock. What's the matter Whatever with she you? was in that porn video. Truth be known, I probably was. I mean, drunk, not drunk off cock. I was just going to say thank you for <laughs> clarifying for our audience. And, and he says this to me. I don't know how many different times, either through DMs, emails, or fucking post Zeus. I'm glad you worked out. I mean, the prime minister, I'm gobsmacked. You rated her. Oh, that he horse face turn. Like what the fuck? Every time I hear somebody him? say horse face, I think of horse tooth jackass. When <laughs> Howard Stern used to call Baba Booey, the horse tooth jackass. <laughs> he like, I think it, of Sarah, Jessica Parker. Uh, really? No, she's got yeah. a honker. Horse face? nose. Oh yeah, well, a horse fit. Well, all right. Now I'm not the teeth, but you're thinking like she got a big nose, yeah. like a horse. Yeah, face. nose and the jaw yeah. and the chin kind yeah. of go out. That's who I yeah. think of. Yeah, yeah. But Cameron has this thing. He must be like the opposite political party of her. He's just adamantly hates her horse face all the time. Or maybe she just maybe he just thinks that she's a horse face. <laughs> just you know, I don't know. Because the because the two of you would be like, no, no, get out, get out of my bed. I don't, I don't want to sleep. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, see that blanket over there? Can you strategically place it over, um, I don't know, your head? Your face. <laughs> Dude, here we go. I love it. I would bang her. Like she bang you. Now <laughs> uh, we're going to go over to our Instagram page. Gabbly DeGook. Oh, boy. I love this episode. Adding their music to my Apple Music. Thank you. Sunny strikes again. Wow. Yeah. Melinda Phillip says, love the solo on Black Tiger. And Mila Chichichiarni. Whoa. One of my all-time favorites. And uh, over on YouTube. YouTube. Uh, Cody Brunette. Thanks, guys. I'm 25 from Louisiana and never heard of YMT. I went, checked them out after this episode. They're pretty good. Two of my favorite bands of Van Halen, Whitesnake, Open Fire, reminds me of Good Enough or Slow Down, Get Up from 5150. I don't want to lose is Don't Break My Heart Again. Mm. Also think DIL, DLR would have killed Barroom Boogie. Oh, interesting. Will you guys ever do a live album on ARC? Eh, that'd be tough because it's a compilation, but it, it's, it's a little cheating. But I mean, we've we've discussed that. We, yeah, we we've discussed the idea of a compilation being done. So who knows? Uh, David Laprade Jr. Open Fire is a great opening song. He must really like them because he also fucking commented five other times. He saw them open for Motley Crue in '85 at the Providence Civic Center. Ooh, oh, remember that, that place, good, Tom? That, that must have been a good show. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Yeah. Matt Weller's dick. Sonny Bukaki Pooney. Oh, nice God. pick. <laughs> Love it. And that's what I got. Sonny, you want to take us into some emails? All right. So I got a couple here. First one's from Keith Rochford. TZ and Sunny, awesome ARC episode as always. I've always been a hits guy for Y&T. First got into him in Rock We Trust because a friend had it. So that was released in 84, by the way. I heard Don't Stop Running, one of my favorite Y&T songs, by the way, and was hooked. Never did a deep dive of any of the albums prior to in Rock We Trust. I just listened to the best of CD around 92. Going to listen to Sunny's playlist and start a deeper dive on Dave and the Boys. I also bought the Y&T doc and need to check it out. When you mentioned Rough House, and Uh he spelled it with not two Fs, which, Keith, is just a shame. Like, even (laughs) if it doesn't have two Fs, don't spell out Rough. It should have been R-U-F-F. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I laughed out loud because I remember buying that CD for $1 in the bargain bin because Max Norman produced it. God damn, they got Max Norman. Wow. Uh, The CD is from 88 in his typical glam rock fodder. Nothing really stands out. They their claim to infamy, not fame, is they were the first band Trip, aka Rex Eisen, played guitar for. He would go on to play with Dope, Murder Dolls, and Static X. Oh, oh yeah, those bands. In two thousand five, Trip would go on to be charged with two counts of statutory sexual contact with a minor and would end up in prison. For 12 years. Damn. The fuck? Piece of shit. Okay. Wow. And in that. Anyway, love S-I-O-L. G-U-R. Thank you so much. And A-R-C. Great idea for an A-R-C playlist as well. Makes for a fun and interesting listen. The variety is tremendous since I have no issues with most of the picks. 
even Sonny's. <laughs> Thanks for always providing amazing entertainment. So that was from Keith Rochford. Nice. And then the second email I got is from the bro, Danny, which by the way, tomorrow is his 46th birthday. All right. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday Danny. Awesome. We'll miss the you on the good time. looking, smart, nice pony. Yes. Happy birthday. I don't know buddy. about all that. That's yeah, it's our, it's our opinion, but it's also fact. <laughs> <laughs> he says, hi, fellas. Glad, glad to hear you like black tiger as much as I do. And an amazing album from an amazing band. Dave Menachetti is an awesome performer. That is just as good live as he is on albums. It's a tragedy, tragedy, how underrated he is. Sonny did a great interview with him in 2019. I suggest you check out, which was episode 100 of grown up rock. I, Nice. You want to talk about fanboying out? That's Dude, okay. I was, fucking, I was like a 10 year old girl on that fucking. Hey, interview. that's what happens. That's, that's awesome. all right. What that's episode cool. was it? 100. Uh, episode 100. Nice. Episode 100, Grown Up Rock. You heard it. Go yeah. over there. Cool. So Danny's a huge YT fan. I think partially brainwashed and he didn't really realize <laughs> it, but you know, whatever. Nice. So those are the emails I got. All right, got a few more here from uh, America's favorite realtor again, Joey Romanick. Uh, this this might be my favorite email that we've gotten in quite a long time. Sonny Pooney saying that he owns only one album that is better than Black Tiger proves that someone with absolutely no musical knowledge can be on multiple music podcasts. There is hope for us all. That that shows my absolute true talent. You don't have to know a fucking thing. Exactly. And you can be on many podcasts as you want. Exactly. And people re- and people repeatedly want you on these podcasts. There you exactly, go. Exactly. Exactly. We should have that as the comment of the year. That's just, just too great. Too great. Uh, we got another one from Antonio Sarik. Yes. Uh, he says. Came across your podcast a few months ago on Google Podcasts. I was searching rat as a topic and your episode came out. I was familiar with Shout It Out Loudcast. I listened to ARC about rat and I fucking loved it. I'm from a small town in Croatia. And we here have a very specific sense of humor. And somehow I heard that same humor on your podcast. <laughs> I knew that we would. I knew that we had a Croatian sense of humor. He's commented it. to us before. On yeah, Instagram. on Instagram. That's what he says. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he says, I'm 34. I'm a radio host, podcaster, musician. My podcast is about Croatian musicians. <laughs> your podcast inspired me to start a new kind. And I want to thank you guys. All right. That's awesome, man. Thank you. Wait. So Croatian musicians. Like Miljenko Matijevic, my favorite singer of all time. There you go. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, Antonio, have Sonny be on your podcast uh, next <laughs> month to talk about <laughs> talk about Antonio Mosovejic, whatever the fuck his name is. I think, he, I think he was small forward. Yeah. Tom. Yeah. Is that like uh, Sabonis, whatever his name was? Avita Sabonis yeah. and then friggin' Detlef Schrempf or whatever the fuck his name is. <laughs> Tony He's Kukoc as well. <laughs> Kukos could hit the three, though. That yeah, was, he, was, good. he was vital in those Bulls yeah. years. Oh, yeah. God. Coming up next, top five 90s Bulls plays from no, Europe. 1990s Eastern European, European. basketball players. <laughs> uh, he says, he continues, I'm a huge fan of Aerosmith, Bon Jovi, Cinderella, Great White, Extreme Rat, Night Ranger, Def Leppard, Warrant, Poison, uh, and... 
I like American hi-fi, but that music is pop punk. I don't know if you're ever going to cover that. I really hope that this podcast is going to grow. Zeus, Tommy, and Sonny, keep doing what you're doing. And if you ever need someone from Europe to be a guest on your show, give me a call so I can pick up the phone and answer it like that guy from Got Me on a Line. (laughs) Hello? (laughs) Okay, I'll stop now. Thanks, guys. You make me rock hard. (laughs) That's awesome. What a fucking great email. Uh, Then we finish up here with one from our buddy Johnny G. Wow, I have a newfound respect for Sonny. Black Tiger was one of my favorite albums of the 80s. Long story, I was introduced to Y&T from an 80s Chicago radio station a commercial during a Cubs baseball game. Wow. Uh, then he talks about how he finally discovered who the band was and try to get all the information about them. Big fan of them. Big fan of them. Um, he says Black Tiger is their best album, but Earthshaker was my introduction to Y and T. Johnny G, thank you, awesome. And uh, that wraps up emails and uh, feedback on Y and T. A lot of people really happy with that pick, Sonny. So that good one. That's Glad what we want. People, yeah, that's awesome. Exactly. Yeah, that's yep. what we want. We want people to open their ears up, jackass, to <laughs> new albums, uh, listen to playlists and stuff, and. Uh, we got that from this album pick, Sonny. Now, with my pick, I don't know what we're going to get. Um, 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. This week on RVER, sponsored by Progressive Insurance. Hey, Chief, we got a damaged RV on its way to the OR. Well, that sounds like a job for the new head of RV surgery. (laughs) Wait, are you promoting me? Congrats, Martinez. Doctor, that RV's flatlining! Well, that sounds like a job for the new head of nursing. So you're just promoting everyone now? Yeah, kind of looks that way, doesn't it? When your RV really needs saving, Progressive has you covered. See if you could save with a leader in RV insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Coverage subject to policy terms. In the, you know pop culture, music, uh, landscape, REM's a huge band. But on the Shout It Out Loudcast, ARC Loudcaster, I'm not sure what I'm going to get besides getting hit with some tomatoes. But uh, I decided to pick REM Automatics of the People. And to be honest, I've been holding off on this to get us to a point where it's safe to pick an album like this. But this album for me is the reason why I wanted specifically to do album review crew albums and albums that mean something to you that, you know, you can remember a time or remember a place or just put you in that zone whenever you hear anything from it. And you can put it on and leave it on and uh, automatic for the people by R.E.M., was my pick. I uh, I'm excited to play this um, for you guys and talk about it. Uh, the things that we always you should kind of talk about in the beginning is always what's your first interaction. And for me, REM was always a band that when I you know first saw their stuff, I'm like, oh, what's this thing? 
I don't know, fucking heavy male type of pussy music. Oh, right? Jesus Christ. I'm just nice. Like, oh, just, I don't know. Then I heard on the radio the one, uh, the one I love. And it was one of those things like when I hear like Peace Sells by Megadeth. I don't want to like this song. I fucking hate this man, but I like this. I don't want to like one by Metallica, but fuck, this song's good. Fuck. And then, you know, I never bought any albums. And then you hear Stand. And you're like, God, this fucking annoying, catchy pop song. And I would hear stuff along the way. We get to college. Um, alternative grunge is now the new sh- shiny new object. And uh, Automatic for the People was like, okay, it's out there. I remember hearing Everybody Hurts. And I don't know if you can recall this, Tom, but back in college, we all used to like kind of get around and watch like 90210. Yep. Party of five. Melrose Place. Melrose Place. And I will never forget it. There was a scene in Party of Five had just debuted. It was their first episode. And I'm like, ooh, who is that chick? It was Nev Campbell. Yep. And she likes this dork, the dork from uh, Empire Records, that kid. Mm-hmm. And the kid's like, why you hang around me? Or like he dumps her. Like, I remember he's like, you know, like, I'm, you're not you're not my girlfriend. Like, like, fuck off. And she just sits there and it's a nice close up of her. And I'm like, God, that girl's so gorgeous. And everybody hurts place. And I'll never forget it. That imagery, like, you know, this family and supposedly, you know, everyone dies. Their mm-hmm. parents die. Now it's an orphan family and everybody hurts. And there's this, this teen kind of, you know, listen to the song play. And then I was like, wow, I got to get this. My brother had the CD. I took it. I played it. And I just never stopped playing it till this day, back from college all the way to now. If I listen to this album, more, almost as probably the most, yeah, I would say. More than Nevermind, and not 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 by much, but more than Jar Flies, more than Verses. It reminds me of college more than anything else. I, I have such a nostalgic feeling of this. It reminds me of the fall. I'm going back to Stonehill. The leaves turning. It's around five o'clock, and you're walking back to O'Hara Hall, and you're crossing over the little bridge, and I can visualize and this album. Every time when Drive comes on and other songs come on, that's the imagery I have. It it just it puts me in the zone. I again, when I started listening to this album, I've yet to stop. I listen to this constantly. So that's my REM story and how we got to pick this album. Tom? So yeah, so for me, th- this is interesting because we usually share a lot of the same college memories, and I s- certainly do not share that same college memory with this album. For me, REM, like growing up, they were considered, this term really doesn't exist anymore, but they were considered like college radio. Yeah. yeah. They were alternative before that term got thrown around too conveniently. They were like, like in high school, like the kids who listen to REM were a little maybe like left of center, you know, it was kind of like Hat it was an sack al- players. Yeah, it was like an alternative style band and kind of like community, th- that type of music. That being said, I was always a fan of their hits. 
like like they they were they were they, the thing about REM was they were they were an, an album band but they were a hit band they always had like even if it was one or two singles and those songs always were were very catchy to me um i had never owned an REM album up until automatic for the people and the reason why i think my memory is a little bit different with this album in college is i my roommate was murph for four years murph absolutely loves this album i know um but he even acknowledged, you know, we we've talked about this album before. It's it, and we'll get into this and we break it down. Like, it's 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 not like an app for me at least. It wasn't an album where you like, hey, let's hang out and like have a few beers and play Sega NHL and listen to Automatic for the people. You know, we'll get into that for my for us, like why that wasn't the it's case. A very but personal album. It's I a think. personal. It's a melancholy album. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it, at times a heartbreaking album. Uh, but at times it's got some nice pop rock stuff. And we're going to break all that down, but um, it's an album that as I've gotten older, uh, especially now that I've really kind of really attached myself to, because I think I'm more mature. I use that word dangerously here on shut it out. <laughs> Have you heard us? <laughs> and incorrectly. Yeah. But like in, co- in college, I'm like, I don't want to listen to everybody hurts. Put on fucking friggin' Pearl Jam verses. I don't want to, I don't want to be depressed while I'm drinking beers. You know, yeah, and put, on be some, like, put on some Alice in Chains dirt. Yeah, exactly. Put that on, put on Junkhead so we can get friggin' shoot heroin instead. Put on Don't Follow. Yeah. yeah, right. But, but yeah, that, that was the thing. Michael Stipe's voice, the instrumentation for me, I was probably just a little too immature at the time to really appreciate this. I like the hits, you know, Man on the Moon, yeah. the one I love, and obviously you know, Monster, the album came after this while we were in college. Their grunge album. Their grunge album. album, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've I've known R.E.M. forever, but really was never, like, Automatic for the People is the only album I own. I own Monster, and I think when they put out a Greatest Hits album, I own that. Sonny, what about you? So, <laughs> when Zeus first said, we're going to do Automatic for the People, I think my first comment was, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. I was incorrect. <laughs> I had heard document green and out of time. All awesome. My history with REM is I tolerated it to get laid. That's what it takes. Sometimes <laughs> I'm 22, 23 years old. And the girlfriend I had before I had got married twice was super into REM. So you can't help but like the end of the world and orange crush and stand and shy happy people when losing my religion, when, when you're fucking to it all the time, Yeah, <laughs> like, I thought, right? like that would be what was playing in the background. So I'm like, okay, now I'm deaf in my left ear about 90%. So I was strategically placed myself to where I could only hear some of the song. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so my first full listen to automatic for the people was at 1206 PM, 3 PM, 608 PM. Oh boy. And 916 PM on August 20th, 2022. Why four separate times? We'll get to later. <laughs> okay. Why separate so, knob? Why separate knob? Why separate knob? <laughs> My introduction most likely is the one I love. I think that's probably the first REM song. Yeah, it was the first kind of crossover hit. And you couldn't get away from it, right? Because 22, 23, now you're out of high school. I wasn't in college. I was at the clubs all the time. I'm seeing bands, blah, blah, blah. So really, I'm either listening to the radio or I'm watching MTV at home. 
and you couldn't get away from REM at the time because the videos were huge. The albums were huge. So that's really my introduction, but I didn't listen to REM on purpose. I don't own any RB REM albums. It was all to get late. That's okay. That's what it takes. Go for it. Of course, the sacrifices we make. Yes. Well, yeah. So REM, the band. So this is their sixth album. So they've already have been in the mainstream at this point. Their previous album is what really did it out of time. And it had the big, big hit, Losing My Religion. And because of that, uh, I think it, it won a Grammy in 92. It just opened doors. And the thing about REM that gets them a lot of like love and stuff is the fact that they've always been said to have never had to sell out. They didn't change their style. They never did anything. They did things their own way. They weren't, um, you know, following trends. They were doing things uh, that they felt was right for them and what they wanted to play. And because of that, uh, they get that critic love that, uh, you know, they do things their way and they don't need to compromise for anybody. Yeah, so, that was the right. That was their identity for a while was that they were you really couldn't compare them to any other band. And that's why they kind of had like such a fan base and, and sold the yeah. albums that they sold because it was a, it, a lot of people were seeking that, quote unquote, alternative music. And they were they were that. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, too, they had been touring since they first started all the way through Green. They released yep. their number one, like biggest hit album they've ever done out of time. And they didn't tour for it. Mm -hmm. And then they do this and they write this album with the intention of like, we're not going to tour for this either. And their two biggest albums. If you think about it, yep. they didn't tour for it. They yep. didn't do anything. Now it gets you to think like maybe other bands should have just stopped what they're doing and say, okay, we're just going to put the time to do this album instead of doing stuff while on tour. It works for some, it works, it doesn't work for others. Other bands put out masterpieces in the middle of touring. Mm -hmm. um, Kiss has done that with their albums. Zeppelin continued touring when they put out their albums. It works. Uh, for these guys, they didn't. So they released this with the knowledge that they wouldn't have to tour, and it kind of gave them that freedom. Um, the album is notorious for the themes of this album, which are like uh, lost, death, um nostalgia uh it does have that melancholy feel to it uh politics they're always politics they're uh another one of those in the vein of bruce springsteen pearl jam no i have a platform i'm gonna fucking use it don't you don't want to like it don't listen to me you know to each their own the opposite of what kiss used to be and uh, unfortunately this is what paul is now but yeah they've always been that political type of band yeah, and they also and, and it, it was interesting too because this album came out right when kind of grunge was taken over the world, and <clears throat> you know you read some of the interviews with some of the band members, and they say that for them turning thirty when this album was recorded, for them that was a big deal. Like now we look back and be like, shit, I wish I was thirty, you know. <laughs> but for them and and everything, the the musical landscape was changing, the cultural and political landscapes were changing for them. And they kind of embraced that that change really, I think, maturely because they looked at like Nirvana and Allison Chains and said, All right, you guys, that's your thing. We're gonna we're gonna step back, we're gonna make our album, and we're gonna make the album that reflects how we feel about what we used to be and what we are right now and moving forward, but like both personally and professionally. And 
holy shit, does that come through on this album? Yeah, they wanted specifically go out of their way to not sound like out of time. Yeah. Where they had like, okay, let's put these songs out, but they got to be not REM type songs. So things that if you have the deluxe box set, which I have, they have a lot of the B sides and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. songs which would sound like awesome, great songs that didn't make this album. They're like, yeah, it's too REM-y. We want to do something different yeah, and not sound <clears throat> like us and not sound. But the the themes and the lyrics and stuff may be of the times of the grunge stuff. Like Michael Stipe would, would like to say that his stuff may have like depressing st- subject matters or death and loss, but it's uplifting. It's hopeful. It's that, not that, like, oh, that, this sucks. Death is coming. We're all going to die. It's more like it's okay. This but is that's what a, happens. That, Transition. Learn to live. Learn to love. Learn to die peacefully and whatever. So, and he and another part of the purposefulness of this was that they didn't want to sound like anybody else. They didn't care what grunge was doing. And this album, although you put it in that alternative, what came out in the '90s, and it's very definitively a '90s album. It is nothing like grunge. The musically, nothing. Exactly. Yeah, and Michael St- and Michael Stipe wasn't suffering the way people like Kurt Cobain and Lane Staley were suffering. So when yeah, was, but I would take that he, back. I would I would disagree, Tom. What he I mean, suffered in his head because but, he was but, seeing all these things. But that's that's my point. That's my point. He was suffering, and he was using his lyrics and a lot of these songs as a way, as as therapeutic. And whether or not you like REM or not, I mean, Michael Stipe's voice is undeniable to me. It's one of the most yeah. haunting, haunting voices. Even if he's singing. You know, an upbeat song like Stand or Shiny Happy People, he still has that he that he emotes something that's unique. And when you pair that with a lot of these lyrics and a lot of the musical melodies on here, I think even if you don't like R.E.M., even if you don't like this album. It's for me, it's undeniable. What is coming through when you hear the, the, when you when you combine it's his authentic it, yeah that's yeah it's authentic and it and it it hits if you're in the right place when you hear a lot of these songs i think sunny what do you think uh all of that is true i'm going to disagree with some things but we'll save that for the song okay that's fine <laughs> that's, fine. that's fine. there's that's no fine. doubt that they're talented there's no doubt that they didn't sound like anybody else. I wasn't listening to a lot of other music that would sound like this anyway. Yeah. So I don't know that for sure, but it sounds like that. There's no doubt that Michael Stipe has one of those voices you would recognize because it's not, uh, it's unique. I'm not yeah. going to say it's not normal. That's not fair. It's just, it's unique the way he yeah. sings. Right. Yep. So, <clears throat> and whatever message they wanted to send with this album, because it's so clean sounding, because there's so much space in the music, you don't really have a choice but to hear the message mm-hmm. because there's not a lot of stuff distracting from it. Good well, point. that could be yep. good in some eyes. That could be bad in some eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And it's funny because part of the whole part of this album was they've hit this stardom and, and through all the books, magazines, articles, documentaries that I've ever seen on this album, he talks about the fact that I got, he, he's an extremely vulnerable guy. And he talks about it. His voice from the first few albums till now changed dramatically. The mm-hmm. confidence level of him. And he says that I started to realize like I'm a like a rock star now. I people want to hear my voice, that I have a distinctive voice. 
You I remember because back even back at that time, like Bono was like, that guy's got the best voice in rock. And he said, I got confidence in this that I, you know, people think I can do something. So I should be able to do it. And that confidence led to an album like this. But every song on this album was acoustic based. Mm-hmm. So what they would do, and they don't do, the, I guess most bands don't do it this way. The three musicians would get together and come up with music. And they did this for this album. And it's all acoustic bass. But they decided to bring in other instruments. And they do this weird thing where different band members would play different things. So the drummer's playing bass. The guitars is jumping on a mandolin. The bass guy's hitting the keyboard. like, Or maybe jump on the drums. And they would change things up. And they would come up with music and then go, here you go, Michael, go do your thing. Yeah, he wasn't around when they were doing all the demos. No. And so they would give it to him. And he likes to describe himself, he says, as like, I'm a handball. I don't know if I'm the wall, the the guy hitting the wall. He's (laughs) like, I can't do anything unless you give me something. You give me something, I will hit it back to you. Yep. So it worked as a team. And the band lasted for what it did because the guys kind of liked each other, but they also were one of these rare bands that made every song ever done is credit to all four members. Very unique. Almost unheard of. Yeah. Cause they each did a part to every song, even though mm-hmm. everybody knows that Stipe does all the lyrics, but the music, if you go through this album, every part of this album, you're like, Holy shit. This guy was the catalyst for this. Oh shit. This guy was the catalyst for that. And from all the musicians that each had a huge part in different songs. And then obviously you have Michael Stipe and his voice in his lyrics. So they're all contributing hugely to this album. And, um, and, who, and who was one of the other big contributors that uh, were big fans of on this album? Yeah. And that comes into fruition is uh, the um, it comes from their producer. So the producer uh, is uh, what's his name? Scott Litt. Mm-hmm. And so he comes in, and I think these this is when REM really hit his stride. He comes in a document, green, out of time, uh, automatic for the people, monsters, new adventures. Those are their, I think, best albums, okay? Yeah. And he was part of that. And he was a fan of John Paul Jones. Obviously, everyone talks about Cashmere and all his arrangements and all the stuff he did for Zeppelin. So they decide to bring him in and do string arrangements. So he does it for four songs on this album. We'll get to that when we get to the uh, to the songs. Um, and John Paul Jones was a fan of theirs. Michael Stipe took the the songs and he's like and ships it to him and says writes a handwritten note like, "Do your thing, whatever you can come up with." And he comes back and you know he hits it out of the park because he's John Paul Jones. And the funny thing is, he's like, "Oh, they're great guys." We sat down afterwards. We went out and had a nice dinner, and we, you know. Went out and had a little, you know, party and things like that. And then he says, like, it's not Zeppelin parties. It's not <laughs> yeah. like that in the 70s. But it was a nice time. Yeah. And um, if you watch any documentary you want to find about Automatic for the People online, everything like that. And there's some really great ones. Uh, there, John Paul Jones is, speaks so highly. And they, they're all like, you know, like, oh, my God. He's the unsung hero of Led Zeppelin. They oh, all absolutely. Want- no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So the album is, if you listen to it straight through, all the songs have like this running kind of theme through it. It's mm-hmm. almost like a concept album, but 
different little stories and nobody can understand sometimes what Michael Cypress is even talking about. But um, <laughs> there's a couple fast songs on it and songs, uh, one that we'll get to that just they're like, wait a minute, this, this doesn't really fit this album. But uh, the whole theme and everything uh, started when they do the first demos in in Georgia, uh, in Atlanta, and they go from there. And they go to different parts, and each part they come up with a few different songs. They go to Kingsway in New Orleans, uh, then they go to um, Criteria in My- Miami, they go to uh, Bearsville in uh, New York, and they produce and mix this album. So it's got different areas and different parts that these songs all came into fruition. Uh, we'll talk about it when we get to each single song, which you know how they come up with it, and where was it, and all that other stuff. But overall. Um, the album itself comes from, you know, the godfathers of alternative rock and uh, totally put them in a different category in my mind after they finished this. Yep. Totally agreed. Uh, they, 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 it's sometimes it takes a long time for a band to come up with their, their masterpiece. Sometimes it happens within a few albums, but you could see if you followed them through their career, you could see you could see that the 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 steady pace of them climbing to an album like Automatic for the People, uh, and again the timing was perfect. It, a lot of stuff was going on in music and culture in ninety one ninety two when this was being produced, written, and released. Um, and these guys were here long before Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and Nirvana were here. So they they uh, as I said earlier, it, it, it's it's an observational type of record. Um, and, and, and that comes through, you know, and it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to break down all the, all the songs. They <clears> love <throat> them so much. And all those bands looked up to them. Then when, at one point, when they go to Seattle and do some of the recording, uh, Pete Bucket bought a house in Seattle and then Courtney and Kurt bought the house next door because they wanted to specifically live next to Peter Buck. Yep. yep. And uh, they were all friends, extreme friends. And there's a couple of good Nirvana ties in. And he was listening to automatic for the people when he killed himself. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. How do we know that? So I read that somewhere, but isn't it because it was in that, his, that was the last album in the house that it was being played on the turntable. Yeah, but they or found it a couple of days later, right? That, that album could have not been changed for what somebody come in and change it. Take it out. Like, that doesn't mean he was listening during. Well, it was the last. It was the last thing he lit. He heard. Put it that Dude, way. He was in his house shooting himself up with heroin for like I don't know a couple of days before he did it. And his music, and then he's a musician. I would assume he was listening to it. Sonny's just mad yeah. he wasn't listening to Black Tiger. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, he would have killed himself for a different reason for that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that was uh, what supposedly made him uh, what he was listening to. Uh, when he killed himself, another part of the pulp culture part of this. So the album is called Automatic for the People. And uh, the uh, that's a saying from a diner which serves the best soul food in Atlanta, they said. Weaver D's Delicious Fine Foods. It's the motto of that diner. And that's and they had a big sign that says Automatic for the People. They would get your food and they would say Automatic and hand you your food. And so it became their kind of motto. And that's what they thought they were going to actually name it unforgettable. At one point, they were thinking about doing it that way Uh, because the year before they had lost uh, album of the year to Natalie Cole's unforgettable. Yeah, but they didn't want to come them. They didn't didn't want to come across as like a dick and name their album unforgettable. So it was like, eh. yeah, 
and uh, the album cover. So there's a star ornament as the it's a photograph on the cover. And you're like, what the fuck is that? I've it, always hated this album cover because ah! I don't get it. It's stupid. It's bad. And we'll get to that when we rank album covers later. All right. On that note, uh, it's on the Sinbad Motel in Biscayne Boulevard in Miami, near Criteria Studios, where they were actually recording. Uh, the motel is still there, but the ornament had been taken off damage through a hurricane. So the band is friends with this guy named Anton Corbin. I don't know how if I'm pronouncing it correctly. He's a big famous photographer, and he asked them to join them. If mm-hmm. you get this deluxe box set, the photos on this are incredible. And a lot yeah. of them are from his, from that era. Yep. And uh, they're just magnificent. Mm-hmm. So Michael Stipe saw that and said, oh, that's that's weird. I want you to take a photo of that. So they took the photo of it and then actually put it in the studios to kind of give them some sort of a structure. And they're like, oh, let's call the album Star. Star? Star. Yeah. Star. And they were going to actually do that. And then they decided to change it to uh, obviously automatic for the people. Uh, the cover itself is darker than the photo. Yep. And yeah, I never understood. It just looked like a star on the cover. Automatic for the people is written in white up top. REM right in the middle. The back is like, it looks like, I don't know, some building maybe in New Orleans or something. And uh, titles are all kind of written in a funk, funky little manner. And yeah. the so photos I, so, inside, so I, I, I would I, say, are pretty so, cool. Before we get into the inside. So I have the vinyl, courtesy of Zeus. Um, and the vinyl has, so side one is tracks one through six, and obviously side two is tracks seven through 12, but on the vinyl, it indicates the first, so the first song is drive. So side one is called drive side two is called ride. So they actually named the sides of the, of the LP, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. Cause you know, on a CD you're obviously not going to get that. So. How's the album look on mine? I always remember this from my old days. It was a yellow, bright yellow. That's the, that's the label in the middle of the LP. Yeah. 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 It's a yellow label. Yep. So that's the the story of the, um, so that's the story of the cover that I got. Got Go ahead, Sonny. So on the CD, right. The star looks like it's in front of a gray wall. Yes, it is. Well, it's actually in front of, uh, it it just according to the information here, it just says it's placed over an embossed image. Yep. Um, okay. it, it's not really so the the it's it has nothing to do with the photograph. It's just an image that they put as a backdrop to the photo. It's not part of the actual photo. It's just some kind of weird grayed out image that they use as a background. But what's odd is the 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 right hand side and the left hand side of the album cover. Those look like power lines. Yes. Me. Yep. So shouldn't the background be a sky? I mean, it could have been a gray sky. Why use a wall? Because they wanted to get the imagery out. They just wanted the star. Yeah. They just, yeah. That it's, structure. It, they, it looked like a weird kind of. Uh, because REM's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Michael and the is. Power uh, lines look like they're drawn in. They don't look like they're part. Right. So it looks like a picture in bro- boss on top of a drawing almost. Yeah. Now, Zeus, do you have the uh, anniversary edition there? I don't. Is is there a, is there a. Yeah. So that's the picture. I mean, yeah. obviously, obviously we're a, an audio podcast, but um, OK. 
So seeing the star comes out just fine on that picture. That'd have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. Again, he's, uh, he was, uh, I think, uh, uh, art, uh, student. They all met in, uh, when they were all in Georgia, I think Michael Stipe met, uh, Pete Buck who was working at a record store. Uh, mm-hmm. those guys are like musically out of this world, but they're not trained. So they're all thinking and, and came out for music differently. And then the other two, uh, Bill Berry and, um, Mike Mills are the musical kind of geniuses that had training and stuff. And they were at university of Georgia and those two guys were buddies. So mm-hmm. that's how they formed, but they had a lot of weird ideas and a lot of musical talent to bring them in. So two different sides, kind of like the Peter and ACE versus yep. the Gene and Paul and yep. they brought it all together. Yep. So that's the album and the album cover. Let's get to some quick facts. The album was released October 5th, 1992, produced by Scott Litt, as we I talked about some of the um, REM albums that he's produced. He also mixed Nirvana songs, the uh, Heart Shape Bach, All Apology, produced the Nirvana Unplugged, and a bunch of other stuff as well. It went to number two on the charts. It had six singles, four times platinum USA, and 18 million sold worldwide. Eighth studio album. Nominated for the Grammy and lost to Whitney Houston's The Bodyguard. Nothing was going to beat that album that year. But if you think about it now, think about how cheesy The Bodyguard winning the Grammy is now. At the time, time, nobody was beating that album. Yeah. And when you look back and you look at great movies and stuff that have lost over years, and you're like, Shakespeare in Love won over what? Yeah. Like, Pulp Fiction (laughs) didn't win. Shawshank Redemption didn't win. Like all these great movies, you're like, what the fuck won? Yep. Uh, Saving Brian Ryan, I don't think didn't win. Mm-hmm. Like you just like you blown your mind. Dude, blown. Crash won Best Picture. Yeah, one yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know yeah, what's but, won the last ten years. So I don't think I've seen any of them. But if so, you remember the '90s, and it started in the late '80s, really, but it, it was really prevalent in the '90s. If you had a movie with a couple of big actors or actresses. And a pop icon involved in the music, dude. Forget you it. won number one in everything that year. Forget. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That was the golden ticket for sure. Yep. And Purple yep. Rain kind of started it, and it yep. like never ended. It, yeah. And that was that was the soundtrack era. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. Vanilla Ice came out and did his motorcycle oh, movie. Dude, Cool as Ice is friggin' fantastic. You gotta get the Blu-ray <laughs> you know box. The title. Cool as Ice. I never saw it though. I will admit that I never yeah, saw it. The Fat Boys. I saw that Disorderlies. I saw that in the theaters. That was a good movie. I saw that in the theaters. Disorderlies. Yeah, they were like the fat boys working in the hospital. With the guy from Trading Places. What guy? Mortimer. Mortimer. Wasn't he in it? Dude, I I saw it once in the theaters when I was like 11 or whatever year that came out. Of course, the fat boys broke up. Um, (laughs) It made it to number 247, the 500 greatest albums by Rolling Stone. And then in 2020, when they did that, they it moved up to 96. Uh number 18th ranked Rolling Stones 100 greatest albums of the 90s and uh it's also often referred to as baroque pop and baroque rock. Now, I saw that. I looked that up too. Yeah. When we were in college, we had to take like history of literature or theater or uh, or music. American just, music in the 20th century. That was the class we took with the guy that wore the cape Oh, I love the guy with the cape. Oh, I he did. I had a little pimp mustache. 
uh, and uh, I remember listening and learning different styles of music and Baroque, that cello, that meh, meh, meh. Yeah. it reminds me of a lot of songs. It makes sense to call it Baroque rock, but uh, uh, that's one of the terms they would use for it. Anything else to get before we get into the first track? Nope. Let's get into it. Perfect. Let's drive. Nobody tells you where to go, baby What if I ride, what if you walk What if you rock around the clock All right, so I normally don't drink on these podcasts, but li- I'm going to, since it's 1992, I'm going to open a Zima here. I just opened a Zima there. He's not He's not opening a Zima. See. He's not drinking a Zima. You no. can find a Zima. He's not drinking a Zima. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a Sprite. No, it's a Specher Sparkling Water Fresh Cut Mango. Oh, fancy boy. My okay. Favorite, actually, my favorite sparkling water. Both. Okay. Okay. All right. So drive. The I'll start with a good. Um, I like the dynamics of the overall song. I like that it had a few flavors, which is cool. Um, as soon as I heard the acoustic start, I'm like, uh-oh, tell me the whole album is not like this. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, here we go. So... I'm going to repeat this several times. I might as well just get it out of the way. Cause I think people are wondering, uh, you mentioned Bono earlier, Bono and Michael Stipe are the exact same to me. Ooh. The most fucking annoying vocalists in music ever. Mm, I cannot okay. stand Michael Stipe's voice. Mm, Can't okay. stand it. Right. It doesn't remind me of getting laid. It reminds me <laughs> of, of just bad. That's it. Okay. I, yeah. Um, so Beth? I really no bad tried, things. <laughs> I really tried to hear this whole album almost without letting Stipe get in my ears because I knew I would hate every song if that was the case. Right. So I'm just gonna kind of start there. Okay. Um when the guitar kicked in about two minutes in, I'm like, all right, the song has potential. And then the Ali 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 thing that's this Ali, 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 long, 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 long. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's just like, it just makes the melodies drag to me. And I am just not, not a fan. Strange song for an opening song. I read it was written while they were hungover. Okay. That makes a little sense. I think it's supposed to be about like forward movement, but I can't imagine this the pace of this song actually inspires any actual action. 
And then I'm reading the lyrics and I'm like, okay, this connection with rock around the clock and rock on, it almost feels like Stipe is taking shots at those songs. Like they're like, like you're not allowed to listen to blatantly fun songs just to have fun. You have to listen to this songs about neglecting AIDS and killing trees to make paper and shit like that. This political bullshit. I just never, so I don't like Springsteen. I don't like Pearl Jam. I don't like Neil Young. I, I don't like Ted Nugent talking on stage. I don't like the political shit either. So the song just, I turned off on the songs that were political and it was painful to get through this song because of Stipe's like dragging vocal. I just, uh, not a great start for me. Let's put it that way. Tom. Okay. All right. Well, this is, this is about, this is going as about exactly as I thought it <laughs> yeah, would. Exactly. <laughs> so at least, at least my prediction was correct. Uh, yeah. Drive for me, uh, always been a standout track is unusual opener, but it's REM. They're not going to open up with like a Detroit rock city. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's REM. Um, very moody, very acute right off the bat. The mood is being set. It's like, okay, you're listening to REM. You're listening to something different here. Um, I have a soft spot. We talk about this very often on ARC, any song that swells as it ends. So when those, when the, when the, when those, uh, when that electric guitar kicks in and those strings just swell, like that, I'm such a sucker for any kind of music that like emotes that, like, as it builds and builds and builds as you, the listener are kind of going through this journey. Um, it, it's, it's a weird song. I mean, there's a lot of weird songs on this album. We'll get to it. Cause it's not. There's really no like chorus. There's like no like the verses. Like it's it's a it's a weirdly structured song, but it's REM and they could pull it off. And I think they pull it off very well. To me, this has always been a, a standout track. Again, weird opener, but uh, I, I like what it is. It's REM. I mean, yeah. Uh, again, I'm not going to credit who wrote the songs because they're all credit to all four. Uh, it's the first single. It made it to number 28 on U.S. Billboard. And this is the uh, one of the four with John Paul Jones or did the arrangements. And that's the strings and stuff that you were talking about. Uh, Sonny mentioned it. They recorded it late after being out on Fat Tuesdays in New Orleans. Um, Peter was playing guitar outside the house. Michael singing in a stairwell, in a phone booth, all sorts of weird shit coming off in this. Um they must have played it like fucking 20 times, they said, before they got to the plate, and they were completely hungover. But it's a dark kind of a plotting song, and it's actually the opposite, Sonny. They're tipping their hat to David Essex's Rock, rock On mm-hmm. um, and Rock Around the Clock. It, there's a lot of nostalgia remnants and stuff. There's a lot of 70s songs um, brought into this album, and this is one of the first one, the David Essex stuff. Uh, there's an accordion. The arrangements were inspired by Queen. Uh, it's the first song Michael Stipe ever wrote on a computer. And it is a political song. That's why you get lyrics like bushwhacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, telling kids to take control of their lives. But it's not overtly like, oh, fucking right. critical race theory. and fucking <laughs> you know, it, it, It's always kind of hidden in there. There's only one right out, straight out fuck you this is what we're saying yep uh, on this album i love the acoustic on this it's like a hard acoustic guitar playing this for me like i can enjoy this in the back i could join it but there's nothing better than putting on the headphones and listening to this 
and then you hear the guitar start hitting and Tom hit it right out of the park. It's exactly the part when the strings and the electric guitar come in uh, at the 205 mark. When mm-hmm. the guitar comes in with the strings and they get louder. Oh, and by the way, you notice there's no guitar souls. REM, they don't believe in guitar souls. No. Nope. Um, yeah. The um, And I love the tick talk. Like he just times it perfectly. Yep. And, the opposite of of Sonny, I, Michael Stipe's voice. He could sing the phone book. And he wasn't like that originally because when he started off and you hear his earlier albums, he's famous for mumbling. I'm like, what yeah. the fuck is this guy saying? He gets clearer and clearer and his voice starts to project a lot more as this song goes on. I, I, I mean, if you hear R.E.M. songs and you have R.E.M. albums, this is typical how to open up an album. They they mm-hmm. don't usually come out uh, uh, unless it's monster with like fucking here you go. Yeah. Um, there's a video and I'll, I'll let you guys go first. Have you seen the video? Yes. It's stupid. <laughs> he's, he's, he's crowd surfing the entire fucking time. I was like, is there anything happening here? Is this it? Like, I'm, I'm just like, okay. But again, it's 92. It's, you know, videos, alternative, weird shit, whatever. Not a good video. Sonny. Okay. It just came to me because I, right. I was watching the video the other day. I never seen it on MTV. Me neither. Right. And I'm like, okay. So he's just crowd surfing, crowd surfing. And I'm like, why is the water being sprayed? And you just saying crowd surfing. I'm like, oh, cause you're surfing. So that's the, why the water's being sprayed. No. Like I will tell you though, that that whole flashing black and white plus the mood of the song works on video. Yes, that video is pretty cool because of the feel. Yep. The story and the endless crowd surfing that goes nowhere. Cause it seems like he's like rotisserie chicken on this crowd surfing <laughs> shit. <laughs> right. <Yep. laughs> that that's a little odd. Um, but uh, I could understand why people would want to watch the video because the mood of the video really fits the song. I think of the nineties and I think of the imagery. Um, he wanted Michael Stipe said he, I, his, he comes up with these concepts and ideas. You can tell he's got like this art background mm-hmm. and these abstract and kind of theory th- uh, thoughts that he comes up with. And um, yeah, he wanted to do a video. He said with the longest crowd surfing ever, he made it black and white strobe lighting lasers. And to make you feel like you're in the club that one time and you're experiencing this and everything's kind of slow motion and everyone's like this and you see the people's face and everything. It's like weird shit like art house movies. The funny um, thing about the video is that it, it's the exact opposite kind of song that someone would crowd surf to. Yeah. But when they slow it down and everything's like moving like this, it's almost like, yeah, it's like dreamlike. It's, it's yeah. 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 And yeah. that's why I, that's why I think it works like that. Yeah. If this was alive and you're like, nobody's crowd surfing to drive. I'm sorry. No, they're not. No. So no. the other part to it is they wanted a film like where the band gets soaked it to be a 60s civil rights demonstration with hoses as like stupid you're trying too hard these kids are all trying to get their freedom all trying to enjoy stuff and they're getting blasted with the hose and that's why the that's what that's coming up then they shouldn't have had the guitar player there smile as he's getting sprayed with the hose which is which is kind of creepy because in the civil rights era when those poor people were getting sprayed with hoses they weren't fucking smiling (laughs) Yeah. So that that message is lost on me there. 
but he's getting sprayed and then he's got this like creepy yeah. i'm like jerking off yeah exactly it's almost like he's like oh <laughs> I saw that too. I'm like, what is happening right now? It reminds me of that old Damon Wayans comedy special. And he was like talking about in the gym and that there's always one guy rubbing his belly. And like, Ooh, look at all this dick. <laughs> and it's just like a weird look on his face in the background. Like, like it just didn't fit. It looked kind no. of creepy, no. but that was drive. And let's go to the next uplifting song. Try not to breathe. Try not to breathe, I can hold my head still with my hands at my knees These eyes are the eyes of the old Shivering and bold I will try not to breathe, this decision is mine I have lived a full life These are the eyes that I want you to remember Something to fly over my grave I need something to breathe Okay, so try not to breathe. Music starts, and I'm like, okay, a little peppier. That's good. I like peppy. Songs gets going, and I'm like, why am I feeling like it's like St. Patrick's Day? I didn't know what Baroque <laughs> meant, but maybe I thought Baroque connected to classical. This sounds Johann Sebastian Bach. It does. It is classical. Yeah. yeah. That type yeah. of music. This sounds more Scottish, Irish. Mm. Right? I can see that's, that. That's the yeah. feeling no, I, I get, was I get what you're saying. In my head, yeah. Right. Try not to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I do a little research and it sounds like the songs about death. And I'm like, but they're in their thirties. Like, why the hell are they so gloomy? Mm. And then read on and it's like, all right, grandma's dying. I'm thinking maybe she heard this song. Don't discount that theory, by the way. Um, dogs dead or about to die. There's people <laughs> talking about he had AIDS. I remember that part. I remember thinking, why is Stipe losing all his hair? And that was, yeah, one that of was a big story used to come up. Right. And yep. I remember the curly locks and then seeing these pictures of him being bald all of a sudden. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, maybe there is something to that. I didn't particularly like this song. But then I, for some reason, while I'm listening to the song, I'm like, how did this album do? And I'm like, fuck, it got all the way to number two. What beat it? Sold it? Eight, it sold 18 million copies. <laughs> you know what took it out of the first place? Why it didn't go to number one? The Chase by Garth Brooks. Woohoo. I have that. Yeah. So I went to go listen to The Chase because I actually have that on Apple Music. And I'm like, oh, I could see why Garth Brooks won. It was early 90s and Clint Black and Garth Brooks and all these yeah. guys were starting to like cross over. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were listening to him in the clubs and stuff. So, yeah, this uh, this song didn't blow me away. If the gra if grandma's looking for a quicker death, it may be because of this song. Don't Don't discount that theory. Uh, we're two for two with my predictions on this episode. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like, I like how the song opens with a little triangle. Uh, 
again, REM doing something really interesting. The the melody, the groove, the instrumentation, it's it's unique. Stipe's voice, I like it. Again, very he has a way of the band is unique on this album of conveying something that is not very uplifting, but doing it in a way where if you're not listening to the lyrics, it's kind of emotionally uplifting. Like, like he's, he, it's kind of a really interesting skill that REM can do, especially on this album. I, I think it's a beautiful song. I think the, the arrangements are, are terrific. It's another song that kind of has not, really a chorus per se i mean it does uh i kind of like when the backing vocals kind of enhance as the song kind of rolls through at the end um look it's it's rem you're not you're not getting you know verse chorus verse guitar solo outro you're gonna get some interesting things here and i think this is rem doing what they do best i i think it's i think it's a really good it's a really good song this has always been a standout for me Try Not to Breathe. This is the second John Paul Jones arrangement on here, too, Don. Yep. So Peter's playing a dulcimer. There's a triangle and the shaker. Yep. You can hear the shaker throughout the whole song, especially when you put the headphones on and think and listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like there's, there's some sort of like a droning song, a sound throughout the whole, and that's, that's what it is. Um, it's a woman at the end of her life looking at the people around her, urging them to embrace it as to what's happening to her. Uh, the character, the characters willing themselves into the grave and has lived a full life. So it's again, another one of loss, but not sadness. Like it's okay. You know, I'm just transitioning, which is, you know, the word they were using a lot to describe this album, not the word it's described these days. (laughs) And um, yeah. So Mills said there was something missing. So he wanted to ghost Michael's lyrics in lead. So they, so it became like a song. If you can hear it and you can kind of slightly, you hear his voice kind of over and under mm-hmm. Michael's voice. And yep. he said he wanted to make it sound like the dying narrator had like a ghost there or a comforting angel there that, yeah. with them in singing. And I don't know. I, 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 I try to creepy, but, yeah. yeah. Uh, the backing vocals, when they come in after the second verse, make it for me, make the song yep. go get a lot better. Yep. Um, and the thing about the whole AIDS thing, this is a big thing. Uh, you know, Michael Stipe was obviously gay, so he had a lot of friends. Unfortunately, they were dying during this time. So mm-hmm. he's very political about the way AIDS was savaging, like friends of his, especially in New York area and things like that. And then he got hit with the, you know, they were thinking about suing people and like about him having AIDS and he's dying. It's a little bit after Freddie Mercury and he's looking gone and just looks like he looks like he's got AIDS. <laughs> Mr. Johnson, you have AIDS. He goes, AIDS. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, that's part of the whole uh, stuff that you got in the, in the, in the 80s back then, in the 90s, about uh, rumor mills. So uh, let's go to the third track. Here is the place where I will be staying. There isn't a number you can call. 
the Sidewinder Sleeps Tonight. So here's what I normally do in albums that I have not really heard. I will give it a couple of listens before I go do any research, right? Because I want to try to listen without somebody else already in my head telling me what I should hear, if that makes sense. So by the way, the Sidewinder, uh, the uh, thesaurus time is an antique style of telephone with a winding winding handle on the side because the lyrics frequently refer to making and avoiding phone calls. So anyway, first time I heard it, I'm like, all right, upbeat song. It kind of reminded me of the one I love felt like kind of a sister song, kind Mm -hmm. of the same, probably pace, if nothing else. I heard that little laugh and snicker at two 33. The first time I heard it. Oh yeah. I'm like, did he just laugh? Yep. Right. Cause I'm always kind of listening for earworms. So that, that was kind of cool. Then the whole story about how it cl- connects to the lion sleeps tonight. And they actually paid the songwriters cause they didn't want no bullshit about it. But mm-hmm. then the songwriters wanted them to do a cover of it. I didn't listen to the cover, but I, I'm sure it's pretty good. It's on the single of this. Yeah. The B-side. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So then what the song's about, because for whatever reason, I was really interested in what the song was about. So I read something that said, Mills said it's about somebody that doesn't have a place to say, stay. And part of it's about machines, uh, do what, uh, people can't. And the rest of it, he has no idea about. And then later he said, is somebody trying to get in touch with somebody to sleep on his floor? Here's what <laughs> I saw. I thought it was, I thought it might've been either about murder about, he murdered the girl. Or that he had non uh, consensual sex with a girl. And because that whole, there's scratches all around the coin slot, Mm. like a heartbeat baby trying to wake up, but this machine can only swallow money Mm. like that. That kind of, why would be there be scratches around her coin slot? That's a little interesting. Now I, you could take it that way. I agree. Whatever. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, I will tell you though, fucking later on in the day, I'm humming to myself, call me when you wake around. I'm like, God damn, that song actually got to me. I actually like this song. I actually, I thought the chorus was catchy. And when, when I catch myself humming it and I didn't mean to, that usually means it connected somehow. The Sidewinder Sleeps Tonight. Yeah, it's a fun song. I mean, it kind of comes back like kind of old REM. It kind of reminds me of like Stand or something like that. Uh, it's, I mean, the band isn't even that big of it. I mean, Peter Buck said, you know, in retrospect, uh, the song might be a little too lightweight for us. You know, he said they wanted to put a light spot on the record, uh, you know, because of all the other kind of serious tones that they were putting on here. It, it's all right. I mean, it's, you know, the, the kind of lion sleeps tonight, like yodeling stuff and the chorus. I mean, I get it, but it's, Musically, it's kind of a, a a cool arranged song, but it's kind of a it's kind of goofy. Uh, Sidewinder sleeps tonight. It's the third single. It went to twenty nine on U.S. alternative, twenty eight in U.S. mainstream rock. Uh, Michael Stipe does not like this song. He never <laughs> liked this song. Anytime he talks about it, he's like, "I'm not a fan of this song. Uh, I I don't like it." But that being said, and these are on documentaries I've seen, and this is on one that he said he's like. Having just heard that song two weeks ago, I wake up every fucking morning humming that fucking song. <laughs> so, goddamn it, it's fucking catchy as hell. And that's how he described it. 
uh, kind of like what just Sonny had said earlier to that. It's, it wasn't his choice to put it on the record. They wanted to get something uh, a little bit lighter, as Tom had mentioned. And this is exactly it, Tom. This harkens back to the to the catchy stands and everything else that they that you knew. Uh, shiny, happy people shit and stuff like mm-hmm. that. They paid them for the rights to lie and sleeps tonight. And they put it on the B side just in case they get sued. A lot of uh, rappers should learn that trick that just in case put it on and pay them. Yep. No one could figure out what the fucking song was about. Uh, even Mike Mills is like, I still don't know to this day what it's really about. It's another nostalgia song. And the reason why he laughs at 234 because he sang it so many times over and he couldn't say Dr. Seuss. He kept saying my name, Dr. <laughs> Zeus, and he kept doing it. And then he just fucking laughed. And they're like, you know what? Let's just leave that in. That's fucking funny. Yeah, just keep and, it in. Right. And so it's calling Dr. Zeus, it sounds like. Um, at the end, I love the callback in the part and that it goes. And he says, I can always sleep standing up. That part where he throws that in in the middle of call me to wake her up and stuff. It reminds me of the whole plaster caster and the plaster caster. And then all of a sudden they'll throw in the little bit last her, last her. And that that little switch up makes that whole back and forth so much better. Uh, The video. Anybody want to start? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, all right, it's the 90s. They're dressed like the 90s. The the whole feel sounded like it could be like the Friends theme, like they even dressed like they could be on Friends. Like that's what it kind of felt like to me. The room and the chair almost seemed to symbolize to me like insane asylum house arrest. Right, like he's not allowed to leave this corner, but it feels more like his house instead of being in a straitjacket. I guess. Yeah, it's just '90s alternative stuff. It's art stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's got nothing to do with the song. You know, the song is like like an upbeat, you know, happy kind of song, and this is about murder. Yeah, okay, about murder. <laughs> I mean, you put, if if you put the video on mute, you'd think you're watching like a friggin' Alice in Chains video or something. It's yeah. you know, it's it's yeah, it's whatever. Yeah, the rooms have weird lights flashing. For I, yeah. I I said the same thing, Sonny. This is the '90s look. Oh yeah, they are dressed in the '90s. Michael Stipe has '90s face hair, facial mm-hmm. hair on it, and um, I, I think it's cool. At the end, the water starts going higher and higher in the room when Michael Stipe is in, and he starts sinking, sinking, sinking. But uh, yeah, it's such a '90s kind of a thing. Oh yeah. yeah. All right, cheer up, people.
everybody hurts the most depressing song ever about trying to stay optimistic. <laughs> um, okay. I remember first hearing this in 92 going, really? We got another fucking band singing about depressing shit. Like what happened to fucking and drugs and rock and roll and drinking? Like I, I was just like, Oh, I will say the song is a little more straightforward. So people who are not, you don't got to be a super duper type fan to understand what he's talking about. And the song drags to me, but everything about this song, except for the dragging absolutely works. I don't like being in the mood to really enjoy this song, but it is hard to argue the perfectness of this song overall, right? I just rather listen to happy music. But goddamn, like reading that story about the UK using it for the suicide hotline, blah, 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 power to you. Because this is a song that works on that level. So Stipe wrote a masterpiece here as far as I'm concerned. I'm just not a huge fan of it because just the pace of it. So whenever I think of Automatic for the People, I think of Man on the Moon and I think of this song. And I'm like, I'm not listening to Automatic for the People because I don't want to listen to Everybody Hurts. Um, (laughs) It's... Like you said, it's it's a it's a brilliantly written song. Again, it 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 ends up with that that when it when the drums kick in, and again that epic sweeping feel with the strings. Like it, it's what he sought out to do. He did it so well. In the video, we'll talk about that, but. It, it's a it's a song that you like like you know like you like hey let's let's put on everybody hurts like no you're not gonna no one wants no one really seeks out this song in my opinion if you put on the album yeah it'll come along and you'll listen to it um but my god it it's for 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 the the what he sought out to do here he crushed it it's a difficult song to listen to at times um but i think that's the point so everybody hurts is the fourth single, number twenty nine on U.S. one hundred. It's number thirty one of a thousand and one best songs ever by Q Magazine. Number two thirty eight is greatest song since you were born by Blender. Because you know I don't pick my music out unless I hear what Blender thinks. Yeah, you got to think what Blender's doing. Yeah, and it was purposely written as the most straightforward song because they said the themes. And the music is meant for kids. Yep. So they wanted to make it so easy to understand. You're right. They got all the Michael Stipe shit out and made it clear thing. This is what gets me. And this is the stuff that I, I love all the little tidbits about this album. The drummer did the music to this. Yep. On the guitar. Yep. This isn't no bass player from Soundgarden. Hey, uh, why don't you sing this song? Um, <laughs> yeah. like, everybody's contributing to this. The, the John, another John Paul Jones track, right? The sea swell at the end with the vocals and the strings are mm-hmm. just beautiful. The song was supposed to be a duet with Patti Smith, but at that time, she was out of music, I guess, and she didn't get a chance to do that with him. Even Michael Stipe says, rightfully says, when you're in the mood for it, it's excellent. When you're not, skip it. I get it. Perfectly said. Right? Yep. I'm the same way. There's no, you know, you're driving sometimes. Nobody wants to hear this, but you do think of it when you're stuck in traffic 
because of the video. And we'll get to that part. There's no drums on it. The drummer came up with the song, which means this is the point of how good of the band is. They don't give a shit. Yep. Like, it doesn't mean like, oh, where's my fucking drum solo, my drum fills. And there's no drums. They have a $20 realistic drum machine that Peter Buck had. And Sweet. they use that. And I'm like, realistic. Isn't that that cheap fucking brand from Radio Shack? Radio Shack. Yep. Right? That's right. Yep. <laughs> like, that's it. I remember like going like Radio Shack and be like, dude, they have nothing here from Sony. They have nothing like no brands, no Panasonic. What's realistic? <laughs> I never would shop at that store. It's fucking ridiculous. Yep. Um, another 70s song that they hark back to and they thought of and kind of inspired Love Hurts by Nazareth on there. The other part. There is a little bit of Michael Stipe, a little small part. Well, hang on. Could mean, we keep saying it, well, hang on, hang on. Things will get better. Or, hang on, it's about to get fucking worse. Yep. So hold on tight. Exactly. You never know with him. Yep. And that opening part, when he does that, don't let yourself go, and he holds that fucking note. And the, the way, and that, that's another part we haven't talked about. He has the production on this. You hear everything so clearly. I think it's so clean. Mm-hmm. His voice just soars on this. And the way they bring in the strings and everything, it, I just think it's, it makes it cool. And again, I already mentioned the um, um, Party of Five reference. And this is where I thought of the song. Um, I just think the string and the arrangements, John Paul Jones, it's not overpowering. It's mm. just beautifully added and gives it that extra texture. Yeah, um, there's there's a quote there's a quote here that I like from yep. uh, Greg Greg Cott from the Chicago Tribune. He said it's a ballad that would border on maudlin if Stipe didn't sing it with such conviction, and I think that's the point. Yeah, with Stipe, Sonny, I know you don't like his vocal tones, and that that's totally fine. But he's he, I I'm buying what he's selling, and I think that's the key to to a a, a, a well constructed song is. The message behind this song is so serious and so somber and so important that if you don't have somebody singing it, it's going to come off as just pablum. And I think the way Stipe does this, I think he he nails it across the board tonally and lyrically. The other part to this is like, it reminds me a little bit of, if I didn't see this video, shiny, happy people. If you don't know the meaning of it, you're like, dude, this is so like, oh, everybody hurts. Oh, right. Jesus. Oh, you're looking for a hit. Yeah, oh, you're looking to write stuff. Don't close your eyes. There you go, kicks. All right, okay, right? We'll, we'll do that. Like, like you're looking for, you're looking for that. Or everybody needs a reason to live. Do you really think Paul Stanley's like, dude? I need to like this is important to me. Kids suicide. I need to really write a song. You think Paul did that, or he's like, no, I don't know, reason to live. Is that, oh, that that'll be that'll work? That sounds good. Right? It'll work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he wrote this. If not for the video, though. I would feel maybe that about this. Oh, this is just fucking the video makes this whole song for me. It is, you know, it won the MTV awards. And do you remember when they won Tom, your favorite band jumped up and caused the scene? Yes. That's the guys from uh, beastie boys came up in character from sabotage. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, they should have won the fucking best video. Cause the sabotage video is one of the greatest videos ever. Even if you don't like that song. I, I I think it's fantastic. I just think this is just out of the world. Oh, I didn't say this video wasn't. This is a great no, no, video. I'm just saying for me, the whole thought process. Yep. Of obviously, other people have done the whole people's brains and 
clips of various people, what they're thinking and what they're saying, like Twilight Zone, each kind of, and they're in this traffic jam in the San Antonio Highway. And then Michael is just there. The four of them are in the car stuck in traffic. And then when Michael starts getting out and walking out, and then all of a sudden he bursts out the first time he sings is, well, hold on. And everyone's going on with him and just looking at him and they're all coming out too. I just think it's, it's a very iconic imagery of the him walking through the traffic and singing and everyone's stuck in traffic. It's just when everybody great idea, when everybody gets out of their car at the same time, for me, I get like goosebumps just because the power of the song right there, when it's, I mean, it's a, it's an amazing video. I mean, I'm I'm not going to say it didn't deserve the award, um, but it's just, it's a powerful song. I mean, it's what REM can do and, and they did it with this. Yeah, one of the best videos of the 90s, no yep. doubt. Yep. And you're right, Tommy, that power when, once he gets out of the car. I actually liked the video before that because yeah. there's little hints of like the kid who's thinking to himself, they're going to miss me. Like, is he running away from home? Or right. the kid that's like, dad, stop singing. Stop singing. Stop <laughs> yeah. Singing. yeah. And yeah. you can see the father. <laughs> like, the father yeah, like, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure my kids have done that to me. Right. So. I'm not exactly sure what a silence is a stone in my mouth. I don't exactly know what that means, but it was very, the reason I got connected to the video is because I loved Van Halen's right now video, which was around the same timing. So Mm -hmm. to me, it was a similar type video, but it's more fun trying to figure out what people are thinking in the cars than it is at the end when it's like this grandiose thing. Did you notice though, that the newscaster, when she's talking about it, did she sound like she had just run like four miles? Why was she out of breath? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it was, uh, what's your name? Lisa Sparks. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> God. Yuck. <laughs> she wasn't fat back in 92, though. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this video is just uh, very famous, iconic. Um, the thing about it is, too, and the way the director talked about it, it's actually Ridley Scott's son that did this mm-hmm. video, that Michael Stipe is such, like, the differences in him and his personality that he's so vulnerable and so like unsure, but then he'll go out and do it. And in, in it with the confidence, he'll still do it, but you can kind of see that he's fucking nervous to do it. And the way he acts in this and his awkwardness, and same thing with his concert, his stage presence. You're like, is he, he's still not confident doing this. And he feels like, Oh shit, I'm going to get criticized. Oh, there's that. And it shows. So he's got that passion an emotional part of him in the video is just, yeah, it makes a video go by. You can't, even now I've seen it a million times. I still watch it and pay attention to the video mm-hmm. because you're reading every single time someone's yep. comments, right? It's a yep. smart idea. Anyways, my favorite thing, an instrumental.
Orleans instrumental number one. So I'm assuming there's a number two somewhere. I don't know that. Supposedly this is in that movie, baby driver. I actually saw that movie not too long ago. I, maybe like a week or two ago. I didn't notice that it was in the movie. I get it. You want to show us your musically proficient. This shit went absolutely nowhere to me. 136 seconds of a complete waste of my life. I would much rather have Nicole. I, I'd much rather just go to Nicole and say, all right, when I say start, start screaming at me at the top of your lungs for 136 seconds. She, she probably would, would do that better. anyways without you telling her. Yeah, that would be better than this shit. I, I just do not understand why bands do this. Yeah, I mean, if you want to do like, you know, 40 seconds or a minute, what I mean, but it's over two minutes. There's, there's no... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan same of the, shit too, right? That, that's, like that's, that's anywhere. what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I, I, I'm on record as saying I like instrumentals and, and I, I like what's coming out of this one, but not for two minutes. Like I said, like D on Blizzard of Oz was 40 seconds long. And that was even a little bit too long for that. Two plus minutes here. No need. Two minutes and 15 seconds. New Orleans yeah. instrumental number one. So if you're a fan of REM, you know that, like I said, they do the music and they go, here you go, Michael. And they have all these different names for songs that are part of the demos. And they give it to him. So they probably had this one. Uh, and they come to him and say, okay, do something with this. And they didn't decide not to do anything with this one. It's very New Orleans. You can tell. Okay. They taped there. They recorded there. They want to put it. It's a mood shift for me. I think it fits the album. Am I fucking seeking this? No. No. But it makes the album, it's in the middle of the album. It's almost like, a, okay, now we're going to turn to this part. It would have fit better if it was almost in the middle to say, we're separating the album. Here's a little mood piece to get you to the next part. Um, you know, it is what it is. I don't like n- instrumentals unless it moved me. And this doesn't move me. No. I don't know what the fuck Peter's playing. A guitar with a little electric pedal, supposedly. Uh, Bill's playing. The drummer's playing an electric piano. There's an upright bass, like a rubber band shit. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> uh, it supposedly just says it, it's saturated with New Orleans. Reminds me of it at 4 a.m. in New Orleans. New Orleans, New Orleans. I don't fucking know. Um, that's all I'm saying about this. It's eh. So let's go to Sweetness Follows. Ready and to bury your father and your mother What did you think when you lost another? I used to wonder why did you bother Distance from one to the other Listen here, my sister and my what would you care if you lost the other? I always wonder why did we bother Distance from one to the Sweetness follows. So let me start by saying 
John Paul Jones and all the orchestration and stuff that he did for this album, it definitely makes for some cool music, right? That dude, rock royalty, he deserves everything that he gets from uh, accolades. In this song, as soon as I heard Stipe's vocal come in, I'm like, maybe the instrumental wasn't so bad. Because this you know, song, John Paul Jones isn't part of this, right? Yeah, I know, but just okay. overall, okay. right? Because that's the feel of what kind of made kept made, made me kept listening was that kind of stuff. And I was always kind of hoping that it would show up in every song, which it obviously didn't. This song was fucking brutal, but brutal <laughs> to get through. I, oh my God, this whole thing about forget about writing a wedding song. We want to write a song that you would play at your funeral, basically. <laughs> it just I'm so glad I wasn't listening while I was driving. I would have drove right into a semi. This could be running in the running for the worst song we've ever done on air. Ooh, Fuck, I, I love when we have these conversations. Brutal. Fucking oh, brutal. So I love bad this. that when I went to go rank this song, I listened to the shitty uh, OU812 songs I got at the bottom and that shitty GNR song I got at the bottom and going, okay, this song's bad, but it's not that bad. It still ended up near my bottom. Though. Oh, man. Bad, bad song. I the, I will never listen to this song again, ever. Okay. Here's the thing. I'm I'm not going to entirely disagree with Sonny. It's 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 too long. Uh, for, for I mean, it's it's over four minutes long. Okay. I'm always into something, you know, musically diverse or some kind of experimental stuff. Um, I enjoy it when I hear it. I, I kind of enjoy the weird sounds that are coming from it and, and Stipe's vocals. It just not for four plus minutes. So, the, so the downfall for me is not actually the song itself. It's that it goes on for a little bit too long for me. Cause I, I enjoy what I'm hearing, but just cut it in half. Maybe kind of like with the instrumental sweetness follows. So they have a cello on it. It's not yep. John Paul Jones. It's got a new Orleans feel to it. So it's filled with grief, obviously, mm-hmm. but it, he says an epiphany kind of that it strikes a, a note of epiphany that togetherness amongst the living, particularly those distance from me or another lost in our little lives is the key. So he brings people together and think of it like what we're missing if we're not together and stuff. And the, the, the variety between that and the, the uh, differences uh the acoustic guitar is kind of like drive um i like it because it's got that weird this is as close to grungy as this album gets and if you listen to this outro it's almost the same outro from singles in in drown from smashing pumpkins which goes on for way too long (laughs) which exactly what you're thinking which i didn't love yeah Yeah. (laughs) but it's that it's that last outro part but it's no difference than Outlaw Torn at the end of that long song. There's a lot of like, yeah, but it's not the whole song, though. The problem with this is no, this no, is, no, but this, the whole song. Here. No, no, no. That part doesn't start until probably three and a half minutes. It goes on for another 45 seconds. I don't know if I've made it to three and a half minutes, though. That's the problem. Well, that, <laughs> if you don't like the lyrics and you don't like the the, the music, I, I get it. I understand yeah. that. But for me, I love it. It's I mean, okay. it just fits in the album. Yeah. It's, um. Uh, it's a song about loss. Somebody, you know, talking about burying your parents mm-hmm. and uh, it just, it, it continues in the same theme. I think it fits along with 
uh, I wouldn't say everybody hurts. I still feel like it's a little different than everything else, but it fits in the mood of the drives and um, other songs on this album. But um, move on to the next one. Seems strange to me. The movies had that movie thing, but nonsense has a welcome ring, and heroes don't come easy. Now, nonsense isn't new to me. I know my head, I know my feet, but mischief knocked me in the knees. So just got a raw deal um okay so through the first listen the drums felt bigger on this track for whatever reason the lyrics the story the delivery sounds like it's about montgomery clift it works well here and there is for whatever is worth at this pace of song i can handle stice voice is what when it gets slower and acoustic and whiny I think for me, his voice plus the message plus the dreariness is where it turns me off. Mm-hmm. When it's a little bit happier and a little peppier, I can tolerate it. And I found that to be true here. Now, Montgomery Clift was an actor. He died early in life. And I know, I remember the car accident thing. I remember reading about that. But I don't remember him really being outspoken on anything crazy. And the lyrics kind of feel like, Montgomery Clift was being like, uh, almost hung for his belief, almost murdered for his beliefs. It's just really hard to follow Stipe's lyrics. Cause I'm like, if this is about supposed to be about Clift, then why is he hanging in a tree? Like why? I don't understand. I'll what, explain all of this. Dude. Right. So, uh, so it just kind of lost me a little bit there, but overall the peppiness, the pace, the feel of the song. Some would deem it maybe a little almost silly. I actually liked it. Yeah, this is a really well-constructed uh, pop song. I like the way it starts off, then the drums kick in, and you got a really nice mid-tempo kind of rocker uh, with sounds like there's some harmonica, some banjo 
picking, maybe like plucking. I, I <laughs> harmonize vocals. Like I can't. I mean, I'll tell you what that is. It's funny. Um, but yeah, but the story. Yeah, so the, the thing with Montgomery Clift, he was, he was a uh, at the time he was gay, and he at that time you didn't come out as gay. Um, and then he was in a terrible car accident uh, where he was like really disfigured, and then. He just was using like drug. He was drug abuse. Like the, I mean, the poor guy. He he died when he was you know forty five forty five years old. I mean, the guy was just a, a horribly troubled life for him at that time. And he was super talented, uh, super good looking. Um, so it's just it's a, a horrendous story, obviously. Um, but musically speaking, um, I think this is this is definitely a, a standout track. I think this is this is a, a well crafted song, and it shows you the all the different things that REM can do. So Monty got a raw deal. Um, another reason why I just love this whole fucking album, because there's so many little stories that I connect to and everything. Do you remember my cat, Monty? I was going to bring him up, but I didn't want to upset you. <laughs> my cat, Monty, people used to say he used to walk the streets with a leather jacket. Yeah. You just walk. Uh, when I had my two family in Arlington, people would just walk by my house and you'd hide in the bushes. You know what cats do sometimes? He yeah. would jump out and just fucking scratch me. People like, what the fuck? He was the meanest fucking cat. And he just reminds me of my cat, Monty. So uh, this was recorded at the Woodstock uh, Bearsville studio. The drums on this are given a real good bill. Um, Barry talks about it. it's a great live sound to it. He yeah. gives it that little extra punch. So they try to get a little bit more musicianship into the band. And so, like they say, they always want to experiment and push their limits. And that is Peter Buck. He grabs the Greek music thing, the bouzouki. If you hear Greek music and you hear like the Borat theme. Yeah, I knew it wasn't a banjo, but I'm like, I don't know what that is. That's a bouzouki. That's all the Greek music. People dance and stuff. That's the instrument that that he's using throughout. Okay. now, the whole thing, um, Mike, I don't know what he's playing. Like, again, that rubber band thing, I think he's playing it. And uh, so there's a bunch of stuff here in the whole Montgomery Cliff. I'll get into that story. But at one point, he talks about, and you would like this story, Tom, is that he got to see, he was at Elton John's 50th birthday party. And he was there with uh, Courtney Love. Mm-hmm. And at Elton John's, because, you know, obviously Elton John and his AIDS charities and the other big celebrity with AIDS charity, if everybody knows, is Elizabeth Taylor. Mm-hmm. So Courtney Love pushed him like, go over and say something. So he went over to her and he told her, he's like, listen, I wrote the song about your friend. And actually, you're in the second verse. Yep. And you're in all that stuff. And she said to him and he goes, this most profound thing I've ever heard. And like it stayed with me to the stage. She said. What we had was the greatest love ever. It had no name. It doesn't have a name now, but it's the most eternal love ever. And mm. he's like, uh, okay. Okay. I just, <laughs> I just wrote a song, but thanks yeah, for the time. Yeah. <laughs> but so uh, Montgomery Clift, and that's who my cat is named after, Monty. Nice. Is one of my favorite actors, if not my favorite. He's like the first, really, of the method actors. It was mm-hmm. the trifecta of him, James Dean, and Marlon Brando. Mm-hmm. The thing about Clift is he was so unique, great stage actor, just so like, no, I, I don't want I don't want to be uh, a movie star. I want to be an actor. And he just threw himself into roles. Go watch one of the greatest movies of all time from here to eternity. 
That's the one with Sinatra got the the role that uh oh, Jesus, there's this part in this movie I really want to get. You can act like a man. <laughs> that's what that's the role that Sinatra got. That's part in the Godfather. Uh yep. from here to eternity, uh, a place in the sun, uh Red River with John Wayne, the search. He's just all his movies, I confess the Hitchcock movie. He can, another one that can act with his eyes without expressing himself. He's just a theater trained actor, one of the greatest movie star actors of all time. And he was the other part to it. Tom, as you were saying, he's was like this gorgeous looking man. Yep. And him and Liz Taylor in a place in the sun, they met there and did three films together. And although he's, I don't know, gay, bisexual, whatever, um, they got this friendship, which is legendary to this day. And the two of them are supposedly the best looking movie star in, uh, ever in a movie of all time was in the place in the sun. And he was troubled, though. Obviously, the fact that he had this, you know, independent streak. He didn't want to be in the Hollywood system. He wanted to be an actor and do his craft. And he was gay. So he had mm-hmm. to pretend he was straight and this and that. So he developed a major drinking problem. So he left a party at Elizabeth Taylor's house, drove down her fucking street in the in the driveway and got smashed and smashed into a tree. Everyone thought he was dead. Liz Taylor comes out in her dress and all fucking jumps in the car, saves him, takes teeth out of his tongue and saves him from swallowing his tongue and literally saves his life. That's what all that part. A friend was holding your hand. And all that other lyrics in there, that's what that whole story is all about. And uh, it's a fascinating story. His movies are awesome. And uh, the fact that this album had a tribute to him is another thing. And, you know, Michael Stipe was a closet gay at the time. Mm -hmm. And I think he got some motivation because apparently the guy that did um, a photographer in the studio came in that filmed that. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Misfits Clark Gable, Marilyn Monroe, mm-hmm. Montgomery Cliff doing this. Well, he had photos of that movie that he shot and he was showing them. So he got inspired to do this song about this movie star who had to live this secret life and was torn in what's called, I think is uh, named the, the longest suicide in Hollywood history. Yeah. And imagine. he just drank himself and killed himself literally to his body collapsed at 45. Yep. And it's really horrible. Mm -hmm. Left behind some great movies. Go see Judgment at Nuremberg, another one of his many Academy Award nominations. Fucking incredible. Anyways, I'm off my uh, soapbox about Montgomery Cliff. Let's go to the next track.
ignore land. All right. So music starts. It's a little more upbeat. I'm like, all right, we got something. By the way, I think I counted like 33 yes. I know there's <laughs> song later that's got some yes, but I think I counted 33 in here. The effect on Stipe's voice is cool. But then the lyrical feel of this political bullshit about how U.S. sucks between 1980 and 92 and we're looking for someone to blame and it's got to be basically Reagan and Bush that we got to blame. And I'm thinking to myself, the voters voted them in electoral or electoral wise. Those, all those elections were fucking landslides. One out of the three was a popular vote landslide. It's like, Stipe, I mean, I get it. I, I just, I guess I hate the political songs, especially when they're one-sided. Right. Songs about government. Some of the stuff that rage does, for instance, it's not always one sided. It's more about against government than it is about picking one side or another. But when you're blatantly just like, if you don't like the U S I guess, get the fuck out. I I guess I I don't know what else to say. Um, pace of the song is good. I guess there's worse songs on this album, but I just got so turned off by blatantly going after people and it's not it's got nothing to do with whether i'm democrat or republican it's like if you're looking for someone to blame how about blame the 175 million that voted for him i don't know it's like come on dude whatever yeah so i'll i'm i'll i'm differ i will differ there a little bit lyrics don't affect the song i i don't care what they're singing about usually it's it's the music it's the melody this song has always been a standout for me it's an upbeat <coughs> it's a rock song for them it shows you what they can do um, you know, and that that's kind of the gift of automatic for the people. There's so many different things going on. I mean, yeah, it's it's overtly railing against the Republican politics from that era, you know. Um, whatever that that's whatever. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't have to like it, I don't have to agree with it. I don't I don't I also don't have to care, uh, which I don't, um, because I think the song is that good. Uh it, it's it I, I'm surprised that. I mean, I know it charted really high. Um, you know, it was number four on mainstream rock, number five on alternative airplay, according to Billboard. So it, it charted high, but it seems to be like a song that is like, you know, almost like a like a deep cut on this album when you look at all the other songs that were hits. Um, but it's always been a standout. I think I, I I love the verses. I like I like the way he sing the verses um, in the chorus just kind of like a really grand chorus. So I've always been a huge fan of this song. Ignore land. Tom mentioned it. Number five, alternative airplane. Number four, mainstream rock. Fucking love this song. Loved it since it came out. Uh, for a while, our buddy Jimmy lived with me and after college and we had our music just like at college, we would play and we're like, Oh, let's go to the club. Let's play these songs. And then we'd sit the club outside before we go in and keep playing the songs over and over. This was always played. Mm-hmm. I fucking love this track. It, uh, it, it's just, and you might not like what he's saying politically. It's a venting song. I just fucking spitting it out. This is the, Hey, I'm political and they have no shame about it. They're like, yeah, we fucking. And when I look at it now, I'm like, good God, dude, if you thought this was bad, what are, you, what are you writing now? If you were so oppressed with 12 years of Reagan Bush, what would you be writing about Trump now? I don't think it get worse, 
But I mean, he is about as venting as possible. So that's what it's about. 12 years of that. And I think the big thing for him that the venting and all the shit that he hated about the Reagan Bush stuff was the AIDS stuff because of all the yeah. gay stuff and the lack of support. And he was seeing a lot of friends die and mm-hmm. things like that. I think that's what his big political thing was at the time. But musically, lyrically, the song fucking rocks. I mean, I didn't think they could do it. Yep. I know they, they always used to say like, oh, we had this idea. Michael is like, ah, he's kind of like on this, on the fence on this. Like, oh, we had this grandiose idea to do like a Black Sabbath type of, and it just didn't work out to be that. Um, in the beginning, uh, this came out in the demo sessions when they first started doing the songs. And this was one of the first, you know, there was like 25 songs of in your face type songs. Peter Buck called it and he said, but this is the only one that made it to the album. <laughs> the lyrics on this, and this is why I love REM. If you read their lyrics and stuff and you find something that actually makes sense to you, because you can read the lyrics and still go, what the fuck is he talking about? Same thing with all the bands that I love in the 90s. I could read their lyrics, whether it be Eddie Vedder's or fucking Scott Weiland or Kurt Cobain's. I'd be like, okay, this is in English. I know what every word means. I have no idea what you're saying, though. Like, this is the same thing. But this kind of words I can pick up. How to walk with dignity with throw up on your shoes. I fucking love that expression. Um, This is vitriol. No solution. Spleen venting. Because that's exactly a great way of explaining. Like, his spleen is, like, it's coming from there. He's He's just going going off. Yeah, he's just going off. Um, The bridge. I just love that bridge when they go on. If we wouldn't know, we would have created them. And someone's got to take the blame. Uh, I love it. They released this as a promo single. It wasn't an actual single. And, uh, I, and you know, it's another one that I think it's different, but it still fits the theme of this album. Yep. All right. Fuck me, kitten. Star me kitten. Oh, okay. Um, I remember the first time I heard it, which was what a month ago. I'm like, uh, this is one of the weirdest songs I've heard on purpose here. Cause I, I listened to it all the way through. I listened to it a second time. The first time I heard it, I'm like, I kind of like that. The guitars following the melody. Like that's cool. Are they going to move on to anything else? Or are they just going to kind of keep doing the same shit? Because <laughs> the second verse in, I'm like, okay, now it went from cool to boring. Like, I wish they would have built on it or something. So I'm like, all right, let me read about some of this, I guess. So then I, I read that there's a connection to I'm not in love by 10 CC. And I'm great like, wait song. a second. Great. I song. know that song. Yeah. I know that song. So I go back and listen to that. And I'm like, that song's a million times better than this. <laughs> Shit's got nothing <laughs> to do with this. So then, so then I read a little more and I see a review that says 
the song is a direct dirty song about sex. And I'm like, uh, no, there is nothing direct about this song to me. So then I hear this story about it was called fuck me kitten. And then I see this interview where Buck says, and we thought that what Meg Ryan said made sense. Cause I guess Meg Ryan was like, you can't call it fuck me kitten. Like that's not going to get you anywhere. Buck says, you want to reach people. You don't want to arbitrarily say you can't hear this. I don't care. I don't care about the word fuck. I use it in conversation. But if it means that some kid in Ohio can't hear it and can't buy it at Kmart, then that's a problem. So I'm like, well, wait a second. That doesn't fit the whole, the U.S. sucks. Fuck the man. Like, oh, so you do care about making money. At least Buck is being honest. I can give you that. But in the end. If this is supposed to be a direct, dirty song about sex, sex, this is the absolute worst <laughs> direct, dirty song about sex I've ever fucking heard. You hit the bang zone of my topic in life, and I would never listen to the song again. Yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> I like it. Uh, I, oh I mean, I, I like I'm Not In Love by 10CC, and I think the thing that made that song a hit was that the, if you listen to go back and listen to that song, it's just like, it, it, it it's like a, there's like an aura about like the, there's really no music per se. There's no like, like rhythmic beats or anything. It's, it's kind of like a, like a vibe. Um, I think it's kind of cool. I mean, you know, again, it's, do I need to be listening to it for, you know, almost three and a half minutes? Probably not, but it, it, it's it's another part of the the creativity of this album. I mean, you just had Monty got a raw deal. You had Ignoreland. Now they're gonna now they're gonna mix up with Star Me Kitten, which is in the running for one of the worst song titles like, <laughs> ever. I mean, at least Fuck Me Kitten makes a little bit of sense. Like Star Me Star Star. I mean, it's just so friggin' stupid. Um, but REM can REM can pull it off. They they pull it off. I, I like it. Is this a go to track for me? No. Uh, but I think it's I think it's cool it, it, in terms of the weird vibey stuff that they do on this between this and sweetness follows. I, I think this is this is a little bit better, but they're both kind of oddball tracks. Uh, Star Me Kitten, it's uh, one of the songs they wrote in Miami uh, criteria. It's a real perverse, demented love song. And it's not about cats, says Peter Bach. Thank you. <laughs> you mentioned already the 10 CC. Uh, it was originally called Hey Love came together in just 10 minutes of rehearsal. I can see that. So producer Lit calls Mike Mills and says, recording to a sampler and a mixer, and let's create a backing harmony. And they created that harmony, and it's just throughout. You can kind of hear it echoing there in the background. It Like you, we talked about originally called Fuck Me Kidding. And they recorded this and mixed this, excuse me, mixed this in Seattle's Bad Animal Studios. Meg Ryan was, shows up because she's filming Sleepless in Seattle. Mm -hmm. It's a big fucking circle of the 90s, right? Um, and that's when she said, well, I grew up, I wouldn't be able to buy this because it wouldn't be available. So the, uh, and the part that I think is like, eh, I'll give him credit. Maybe I'm not sure, but maybe he's thinking more or less. Not about like, hey, I want more album sales. Well, maybe he's thinking it's not going to be available to somebody who could pick it up in a small town and wouldn't have the capability of getting it because of the lyrics on it or the sticker in the front. Uh, nowadays, fucking people jump on that in a second. 
And then I remembered something about this song that was always weird. It's on the soundtrack to like the fucking TV soundtrack to the X-Files. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. that. Yes. Fucking guy. uh, I don't know. William S. Burrow, Beat Generation guy. uh, The author, he reads the lyrics Mm -hmm. while the band's music is playing. It's really spooky and weird. And he just does it. And it's on that X-Files TV soundtrack. And that's why I'm like, why do I remember something weird about this? Yep. That was it. Nice. Anyway, let's go to Man on the Moon. There were 70 plus yeahs on this one. I couldn't even count them all because you can't catch them all. Cause there's yeah. some that are in the lead vocal. There's some in the backing vocals. I couldn't catch them all. Why do people love Mott the Hoople? I do not understand. <laughs> like I have listened to Mott the Hoople. I don't understand why Elliot's got a love for these guys. I don't understand what the art. I just, I guess I don't understand. Um, <laughs> if you believe they put a man on the moon, I saw pictures. There's TV footage. They're like, fake. I guess that They're fake. fake. They're fake. Fake news. I, I, I am not a believer that Andy Kaufman's alive somewhere. I think he's pretty much dead. There's plenty of people that have tried to prove that too. But I will say all the shit talking aside. Okay. I read this one thing that uh, it says. There's also a spiritual element to man on the moon that's unique to automatic for the people. Michael Stipe is picturing Andy Kaufman in the afterlife while also suggesting that immortality reduces the iconic and the forgotten people alike to the same status. It's a tribute song to a legend about how we all ultimately end up in the same place. Okay. All the shit talking I'm doing about Michael shit, that shit is deep. That is pretty fucking cool. And song-wise, that chorus is catchy as hell. And the vocal changes at the third line of every verse where Michael does it a little bit differently, total earworm. I really like this song. 
I also love Jim Carrey. Saw the movie. Mm-hmm. Movie was meh. Because, yeah, of Jim, the- because of Jim Carrey. <laughs> well, I also think the movie was meh because I don't know if anybody needs to see a movie about Andy Kaufman, but that's a, that's a whole separate story. I mean, but Man on the Moon, there's a reason this song was a hit. It's got everything you want for a hit. Great verses, incredible bridge into the chorus. I mean, the chorus is just undeniable. It just it it's another example of of REM showing you all the different things that they can do, which makes this album you know what it is. Um, plus, anytime you get a reference to classy Freddie Blassie, that's <laughs> <laughs> on that geek. <laughs> I'm like, that is just the greatest right there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it's a great song. I love that. I love that they use the, that the name of the movie was came from this song that you know the song came out you know with 92 the movie came out with 99 i think that's kind of cool um it's just it's a great song lyrically structurally musically i think it's a really fun song there's a reason why it was a it was a big hit uh it deserves to be it, it it's it's well written stipe's voice just kills it uh and that chorus is just one of the best so man on the moon it made it to number 30 uh on us billboard second single so another, this is part of the Nirvana whole thing that they, you know, Pete Buck had moved over there. And um, the whole thing is that uh, Curtin and his wife, uh, the wonderful and charming Courtney Love, decided to buy the house to live next door to him. So they became a, a huge friendship between Michael Stipe and Kurt Cobain. And the thing that Michael says is that he had this running gag and joke he did with Kurt that Nirvana has all these songs with yeah in it. I'm going to write a song with more yas than they've done. And he always jokes about and tells in all the time he talks about this song. Um, The thing that's fascinating about this is this is how brilliant he is. As always, they do the music and they have and they give it to him to do the lyrics. The album is done. They have this last song and they're like, fucking come up with the lyrics. I don't have anything. And usually they say, we'll lock him in a room and he fucking does it. This time the producer, Scott Litt, said, just fucking do something. Take a week off. Go ahead and do something. Someone had brought in some VHS tapes early in the week of Andy Kaufman performances. So he had that. So he says, I threw on a Walkman and walked the streets of Seattle for a week. He comes up. He has the lyrics. They record it in one day. They give it to the thing. They mix it the next day. The next day, the whole album is given to the record company. Here you go. Imagine that. Think of these fucking lyrics and what yep. he wrote, and yep. then he just got it like this. And just the catchiness of the that whole chorus and all the pop uh, references and nostalgia and Freddie Blassie and fucking Risk and all this other shit. Elvis. Yeah. The whole album. Well, that's because uh, Kaufman used Kaufman's to do the imperson- yeah. Yeah, yeah, his impersonation. And so yeah. just thinking about all these great like lyrical references that he put in, he also mentioned that if you ever watch uh, Dan Rather's The Big Interview, yep, uh, he, he I think it's on Axis. I think that's the channel it's on. He has some really good interviews, and he has some terrible ones. Terrible, like the one he did with Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. I was just everybody else's are yeah. really good. You learn not good. So when he did it with REM's Michael Stipe and Mike Mills, it was on the fact that they just did the 25th anniversary box set of automatic for the people. So there's a lot of automatic talk on that discussion. And they talked about this and he says, 
it's an actual happy song about death and the ultimate transition into whatever happens to you. It makes me happy and it's a little bit sad, but that's what it's really about. He doesn't know why he put Mata Hoople in. He goes, maybe that was like, he has no fucking affinity for them. He just, maybe that was just something he's thrown in pop references. And you know, the whole Andy Kaufman thing is just because, uh, you know, had the VHS tapes of his performances. And then they parlay that into doing the soundtrack for the movie. Yep. Coming up with some more stuff for him. And I just, the earworms of, you know, maybe the best on this album is that whole chorus at oh. the end as it just keeps going on. And I mean, I, I do this with my kid all the time in the car and she gets fucking annoyed. If you believe like <laughs> constantly, she's like, ah. And I just have to sing it at the top of my lungs, playing this song at the yeah, end. She's like the kid in the Everybody Hurts video. Yeah, Will you please stop singing? Oh, she's hurting when I sing this nonstop. <laughs> uh, but it's the fucking, it's just one of those REM tracks that can stay in your head. It's catchy as hell. Yep. Um, let's get to the quickly to the video. Two parts of the video I absolutely loved. One was the people in the bar singing the chorus and a different person kind of singing. It uh, reminded me a little bit of uh, um, that Michael Jackson video. Remember when the faces were changing? Oh. What was that and video? You're black. You're white. Yeah, you're white. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> one, right? Do you remember in Living some... Color did that? And then they, and they, they did a fucking video of it. And then at the end, remember, he was breaking cars yeah. and shit. And they're like, what am I, black or white? And the cop goes, you're under arrest. He goes, I must be black. <laughs> there, there's something about videos that kind of incorporate other people that aren't part of the band in the song like that. That's just kind of cool. And then the other part is I got to say Stipe's uh, Elvis impression is not so bad. It's quick and it's not so bad. He even had to move down a little bit. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a fun video. I mean, I, I like the beginning of it. Stipe kind of walking around with the cowboy hat and hitchhiking to the bar and everything. It, it, it's, it, this is a cool video. I mean, and, and it's, to me, I mean, I'm I'm sure I'm kind of just making a guess here, but it's you know this is like the big song off the album, and this is like the big video off the album. You know, all the other videos we talked about were just kind of like, what are you guys doing? Like this, like there was some like there's a story here. It's fun. It's well crafted. It's fun to watch. It's not it's not friggin' Michael Stipe crowd surfing with a strobe light for four minutes. It's there's kind of <laughs> some fun stuff going on here. So yeah, definitely a cool video. Yeah, the it's black and white. And yep. the, when he's walking, he's got the cowboy ad. Yep. You know, he's got a thin frame and yeah. he's got the white shirt. It just like, and he's got that pace and you can almost picture if you know the, the story of the album of the song, this is what he was doing. Like walking, walking. pacing and thinking and hearing the music and being like, okay, this is the lyric. This is the part. And there's a fun part that I think Bill tells him when he's, he's the truck driver that he, he does that. And he, are you goofing on Elvis? And he does a, ooh, yeah. like just a, almost like a shooter McGavin kind of a Elvis move. <laughs> yep, and then yep. he jumps Shoot on that. the truck and grabs on hold. And Bill's like, you see what you grab right behind that? Watch out. You will burn your fucking hand off if you grab the wrong thing. And he's like, you know, I don't know if I, if he should do this, but he did it. They, they, they got it off. And then you go into the bar and you got Pete's the bartender. Mike is the uh, playing pool and mm. different guys and people in the background. And you can catch them singing the lyrics and the chorus, if you believe. And yep. it just, it works. Oh, it's great. It's a nice, easy going video. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the next track. 
Okay, so some interesting things on night swimming. Uh, I think the you know the whole the piano use was the piano use for Layla. I think that's a great thing. Um, the stories around the song. I think I like Stipe's story better. So he says, a few years ago, I wanted to write a song about night watchmen. So I hired one to guard the REM offices in Athens. I bought him a uniform, a flashlight, and everything. He turned out to kind of be a crazy guy, call me, would call me up in the middle of the night to tell me dirty stories about the Kennedys. <laughs> I wrote the song about him, but he was so paranoid he was gonna that somebody was gonna sue him. So he changed the lyric from night watchman to night swimming. But then Mills said it was just a bunch of friends going skinny dipping after the clubs. I think I like Stipe's story better. <laughs> so then I read this and I'm going to tell you that I read this five times. Okay. I, I And it was a music critic says night swimming is about remembering a formative moment so clearly and vividly that you can almost re-experience it. And the pain of knowing that the gap between what you can imagine and what is lost forever is narrow, but ultimately insurmountable. I still don't know what the hell that means. You grasp into something that, Oh, I do. You just can't touch it. So I started thinking, I'm like, we're almost at the end of this thing. I think I know what the problem with this album is. It's for smart people. And I'm a dumb rocker (laughs) in the end. All I hear is a very boring monotone song <laughs> over a beautiful pia- pi- piano melody and orchestration. That's what I hear. I mean, I can't think of any other part of my life except for ARC where I would listen to this song on purpose. Like I <laughs> see, this I mean, is the beauty. I'm just a dumb rocker. That's basically what I'd rather listen to Rough House. See, see, this is the, the this is the this, see, this is the beautiful gift of Zeus picking automatic for the people. It has taken us 30 plus episodes for Sonny to tell everyone what we already knew. You're a dumb rocker. Yes, I'm a dumb rocker. Okay, this is not meet me down at Jimmy's bar and grill. This is not look what the cat dragged in. This is not my way or the highway. Okay. It's it's smart. It's I know that's not a that, that's not <laughs> that's a, not a positive thing. Not a positive thing. Um. Anyways, I think this album closes out with two of the most. Oh, what's I can't think. I, I'm trying to think of a word. Emotionally haunting and at times 
painful to listen to, depending on where you are when they come on. Night Swimming is one of the most beautiful songs ever put down. It's not a song you're going to seek out. It's not a song where you're going to be like, hey, let's play Night Swimming. But when it comes on, it just it 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 just hits me in the feels all the time. Um, it's incredibly simple. And I think that's the 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 wonder of the song. It's just a simple arrangement. And I think Stipe nails it. The orchestration is just beautiful. And it's it's a song that that always I always come back to. Night Swimming is the fifth single. Um, yes, it was recorded on the same piano as Layla. Now, you can hear that that part of Layla. Yes. Like the part where it comes on in Goodfellas and they pan in yep. to the car and the dead people in the car. That part yeah. of the piano. You can hear that in the kind of almost a little bit in the melody that they come up with here. And um, it's another John Paul Jones. So you've got that tasteful orchestra coming in. Beautiful. And you can hear that as well. Michael says it felt like a comforting and one of his favorite songs that he's ever written. Basically, they came, they gave it a contest. This is one of the few songs they had the lyrics first. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, somebody come up with the melody and come up with the music for this. And they had like a friendly little competition. Buck's music and melodies he came up, ended up becoming drive and try not to breathe. So I guess it worked out for them. The song's about transition again. Songs, uh, uh, not sure the people understand. Like, we went through what you kids are doing now. Yep. You guys need to do things a little bit slower. You're going to miss out on the innocence that's going to either you hang on to or you lose because you're doing things way harder than we were doing things. So mm-hmm. he's trying to give them advice. Not sure you people understand. That's where that part of it comes in. There's some science fiction thing called Dahlgren. I don't know, Apocalyptic City. All sorts of fucking shit again. Um, they talk about like 19.7 radio hits again. Uh, that's what inspired them. The the whole thing about Buck's story, they used to go to a place called Ball Pond after like their concerts because they're in Georgia, hot nights. The, the people would all jump into the pool. Um, excuse me, the pool, the the pond over there. And, um, you know, everybody has a different theory as to what these songs are about. And I think he writes specifically to be like that way. Like, you don't know what I'm saying. Take what you think it is and go with it. That's fine. It's all right. Um, they did do a video. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, before we talk about the video, here's a quote, Sonny, that will make, that will kind of make your head spin in terms of analysis. Steve Hayden for the AV club said, Automatic for the People might be the most quietly serene rock record about loss ever made. On Night Swimming, death returns to his home in the past, and memory is revealed as the last light emanating from a star that has burned out. See, exactly. I don't know what that means either. Yeah, that's in English, and I'm having a hard time understanding. what. I, I Yeah, I think what they're saying, it's just reflecting on your life, reflecting on times of your life that are gone that are never going to come back that it's not my it's not death in that you yourself are dying it's that parts of your life are gone and they're and they're faded and they they're they're just not coming back yeah it's it's kind of it's a freaking depressing fucking song and record in a way but they're all this he always writes thought-provoking things 
things that interest him. And if right. you ever watches like interviews and documentaries and videos that clip to him, I can do, I can, I've, I've learned to do a good Michael Stipe. I, well, I think it, and the songs that are written are basically things and theories of social problems and death <laughs> and a lot of people are dying of AIDS. And my queerness was something that I still kept close to the vest. And um, the, like, dude, what? First of all, he used. First of all, he uses the word queerness. He always says that. No, that's how he that. described himself. No, I know that. I always that. use that phrase. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's go to the video. I'm assuming the video is supposed to be after a hard day. No matter what job you do, people go night swimming to forget their problems. That's what I saw. Yeah. Um, I noticed the gas was less than a dollar in one of the screens. <laughs> Besides that, it was a bunch of people taking their clothes off and swimming, which yeah. they didn't show enough skin as far as I'm concerned. But oh, well, So you wanted to see the fat guy that was at the hotel? Yeah, of course pool? I did. Like, if you can do it, I want to see it all. But it was shrinkage. I was in the pool. I was in the, the pool. pool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the video is what it is. It's It's really, there's really, I mean, it's, it's. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's like okay. A haunting image though. It is in the water. It's like this freedom and this, your body is just like, you know, you're, you're experiencing this and like yeah. letting go and things. I don't know. Nope. I agree. Yeah. I agree. All the, all these, all these guys, they always talk about swimming and water in the ocean. Like there's a lot of song, like sound oh, oh, Chris Cornell coming up to, too. Chris Cornell used to talk about that all the time. And, and, and those guys that are really, really emotional, like they, like the, the, the power of, of any kind of water. And, you know, I mean, I, I would mean, say I, drugs, but I don't think I don't, Michael Stipe is not known for being a drug addict. No, but like I would think like the drugs and you go to the ocean or you go to cliffs and you see waves and you see like, it's just, I mean, it's always this imagery. And I say to it in the Zeppelin yep. Chronicles, where I'd go to Greece and be on these mountains that yep. are thousands and thousands of years. And you got these waves crashing against these shores that have been doing it for years. And nothing is touching because you're only seeing nature at this point. Yep. Visually, yep. you're not seeing telephone wires. And you could just imagine like you've been here. People were here 5,000 years ago, seen exactly that. And right. it makes everything small and insignificant. Yep. And just thought provoking shit, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right? No, I, yeah, that's, I think so. Now, yeah. If we're gonna get the thought provoking shit, holy Christ! Let's end up. Let's end with a real rocking head fucking fun song. Nothing is going my way 
find the river. All right. So let me start here. I actually don't mind the song. I thought the chorus was really good. The verses were meh. I have not done this much. I'll do it with a word every here, here and there where I'll be listening to the lyrics and reading at the same time going, okay, what does that word mean? And I'll go to Google. I had to do that several times in this song. I'm like, what the fuck is a bergamot? Right? So I'm like, bergamot. Oh, it's a plant. What the hell is a vetiver? I'm like, vet. Oh, that's a plant. Is he something about plants? Like, so Michael Stipe, I'd like to thank you for the vocabulary lesson on the last song. The chorus was good. I wish the verses were better. And that's find the river for me. Find the river. Oof. Uh, <laughs> no, and I, and I and I don't mean that. I mean that is like this is a very challenging song to listen to, and because it is, it is one of the most hauntingly painful and beautiful songs to listen to. Um, it, it 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 to end the album with this is really to just put an exclamation point on the experience that you've had since you started listening to the the, the album. Um. I think it is one of the most incredibly underrated and underappreciated songs that REM has ever done. Depending on where you are at your life when you're listening to this song, it can be a pretty difficult listen. But I think that's the point of the song. It's just Stipe and REM at times really have a gift of trying to put down into music what they're trying to say verbally. And I think they really they they excel at that here. Um Beautiful song, incredibly crafted, and it's just an incredible standout track for me. Find the River is the sixth single. So again, I, I started the kind of this whole episode by saying, like, this is one of the reasons why I want to do Automatic for the People. A lot of you guys are going to be like, fuck this shit, put rock and roll all night. But this song will be put on someone's radar, and they will thank me for it. Because this is probably one of, if not the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. It is, the the music itself is gorgeous. And then when you add his lyrics in the themes and the intelligence that goes with this song, it's just over the top. If anything, like anybody listens to anything from this album and comes up with it, if they find themselves feeling that attachment to anything and they find it on this song, It'll stick with them because this song stays with you. It just, it's one of those things that uh, uh, once I got into this album, when I first got into this album, this track was always that track, that haunting thing. It's the same thing with, uh, I think what Tom described at one point at, on I Stay Away when we did Jar Flies. You hear that beginning guitar thing, it, it just puts you in a place. It's a, almost a little bit like, Everybody hurts in the sense that if you're not in the mood for it, you better skip it because mm-hmm. it'll put you in that mood. Yep. So when I put this thing on, it just the nostalgia that comes back, the feeling I get from this whole fucking album is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the song is mostly the demo. Yeah. And Michael Stipe says uh, from time to time, they send him material, but it's rare that they'll send him something that sh- sends a shiver up his spine. And when I heard this de- demo, he said, my heart jumped a version. Uh, you know, there's a version of uh, find the river without the lyrics. If you buy this box set and Michael, you can tell how he does. 
melodies. He just does a little mama, mama and he hits the lyrics and he, and he comes up with lyrics and he's mumbling stuff to try to get the melody and stuff. And he does this big thing with his voice jumping higher and higher and higher. And he's like, he, he got to listen to that again because they started doing the demos for preparing for the 25th anniversary. And he said, I, I, it was like, that made him really proud. It's the only thing I ever listened to. It's hilarious to listen to him talk about going back to do this album. He goes, the amount of like description he would put as to what it was like for him to listen to his demos. He's like, calls it all different forms of torture for him. He's like, it's the most painful fucking thing. I will never listen to that shit. I fucking hate it. I know our fans like it. Here you go. Listen to it. But he's like, I, seriously, it's 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 beyond painful for me to listen. And it makes me so vulnerable to listen to how my thought process was and how that became the song. Yep. But he's like, this one is the only one that I'll ever listen to. And I never want them to put me through that shit again. And he's that insecure about that shit. Mike Mills and Bill came up with the whole idea of the backing vocals. Mills says to uh, the drummer and says, Come up with the backing vocal. Don't tell me what you're doing. I'm going to come up with mine and let's see what it does. And it fucking worked. Mike does this like haunting, emotional, high pitch thing. And Bill does this low registered country mm-hmm. kind of uh, voice, uh, voice and it works. And they added it on and it was great. What I liked is in that interview that I talked to you about with Dan Raver, the big interview, he asked them, <laughs> maybe because the whole theme of this album, at your memorial, if you could play one song, what would it be? And without two seconds, Mike Mills is like, oh, find the river at his, at his funeral. That's what he wants to play. And and then it's great because Michael Stipe was right next to him. He doesn't expect him. He looks at him and he goes, and he gets a huge smile. Like, he's so proud that he picked that. And he's yep. like, really? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's such a beautiful, heartbreaking song. I don't. I, I didn't have to think about it. He says. So he goes. I really listen to my own songs, any REM songs. But he goes. But the last three songs on this album are the only really REM songs that I listen to. Yeah. Which is "Man on the Moon," "Night Swimming," and "Find the River." Mm-hmm. Um, the accordion on this song. Uh, think about it. An accordion. Incredible. Would be so fucking cheesy, but it works. It's not cheesy. It's like eerie and haunting along with the backing vocals. You would never think so. You got fucking shakers. You got a Corings. You got a bazooki. You got a fucking <laughs> triangle on this album. Anyway, uh, I, again, this is why I want to do this album. So uh, the video, I'm just going to say it's just a studio performance. And you can see like, you got Bill, the drummer, playing a bass guitar. The bassist is playing the keyboards. The guitarist is playing the acoustic and Michael's singing. And then they have a video of like some old guy walking around like a lake or yep. a pond with his dog. And then he lies down. I don't know if he's going to die or what, but eh, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, it's it. The video is uh, the video is kind of as almost as haunting as the song itself. With the you get the band playing, and then you have that old man and his dog just walking along. It it's it really it, it visualizes kind of what you're experiencing when you listen to the song. It's uh, I, I think it's one of the better. It, it might be the best video, probably. Really? That, uh, yeah, yeah. I think just I because it was, I, I thought it was like I thought it wasn't up to the song. 
Like, what are you doing well, a I, video performance singing the song? I want to see you singing. I want an imagery. Yeah, I don't know if it would be, that would be. T- I think that's why they mixed in some imagery. I, I think it would be difficult to. They, I mean, you could you could have made like a short story film about this with this video, but I think I I I think they did a good job with it. Yeah, I'm with Zeus. They missed on the video. They could have made it a lot bigger. Um, that dog, shit, that dog almost looked like a wolf to me. I don't even know if that was a dog. Um, Stipe looks. I, you could have freeze framed any of the pictures that they showed with him in the studio, and it is the quintessential '90s alt rock yep. uniform. Oh yeah, totally. Right? I'm like. He's between a 15 year old teenager, Sugar Ray and Lynn Staley all in one. Like, it's like, right. I was like, you know, whatever. I, I thought the video missed. Okay. I, could have been bad. I don't think it's bad. Really- I just think it should have been better. Yeah. And when I say it's the best of the videos, I think all the videos are very mediocre. I think, really? the, I think, I think these videos are really, I mean, the man on the moon video is fun. That was, um, yeah. But I, I I like a performance video that's mixed in with a little bit of kind of a story. So the guy with his dog and, you know, that, yeah. I, that that's why I liked it. But I thought all the videos were relatively weak for this album. Except that the guy with the dog looked like the guy when they caught the shark from Jaws and they're hanging it up. And all of a sudden a guy walks by. Do you know who I'm talking about? He cuts and, the camera angle. And he goes, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that guy? Oh, no, not the what fat guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but there's a guy oh. with the beard. Look looked like a fucking, he's got like a pipe or something. He looked like, yeah. I don't like the, know. He looked like the Long John Silver Fisherman. The, like, Gort, just, the, the Gorton's Fisherman. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just <laughs> walks by the camera and jaws. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what that guy looked like. <laughs> yep. Oh, yep. Anyway. so. Uh, I'll give you my final thoughts and we'll pass it around before we tr- rate the tracks. Uh, for me, this is nostalgia all the way. I don't even know where to begin. I, I, nothing reminds me of college more than this. And really? I still would say college, my best time in my life. So mm-hmm. um, that that's this album reminds me of it. It's the, It's not just because it was played during college. It's just that nostalgic feeling and that somberness and the music and the friendships and the things that you wished for in the past that you could have now. And all that stuff reminds me of it. You got find the river man on the moon, uh, ignore land. The, there's a bazooki. There's a, there's a fucking song about my, my favorite actor. The fuck would write a song about Montgomery cliff. So all this stuff together is just, gives fills me at least with all sorts of emotion yeah this is the probably honestly the first time in decades where i've listened to this album start to finish i don't seek out rem i I, it's not because i don't like him it's because you got to be in the right mood um perfectly stated tom it doesn't work certain time there are certain albums and songs i hear from them i'm like Dude, good fucking god! This is yeah. I don't uh, doesn't emote anything, but, uh, you know. Yeah, but but the the thing I was thinking about when I was listening to this album, spending a lot of time with it, I'm like, this album is like, it's literally like. I mean, I know you know they're I know, Sunny, for example, you know, not huge fans of this or REM in general. I mean, this album is like a fucking piece of art. I mean, mm-hmm. compared to the albums that we've done, and we love pretty much all the albums that we've done to some degree higher or lower. I mean, th- this, this just stands out as like just an artistic 
I, I mean, it, it, it like really an intelligent is, album. Like, it's like, not, it's not the dumb rockers album. Yeah, it's kind of like on an island. Um, which is one of which I'm which is why I'm glad you picked it for give us a chance to talk about something different. But um as much as I like the album, I'm glad I don't have to listen to it anymore for a while. Because um, <laughs> oh, it puts you in a mood. It's it, it, it's it's, a, a, it, it, it's an emotionally exhausting album, um, which at times is good and at sometimes is not so good. But um, it's an incredible record. Okay, let me start here. I'll say it again because it it deserves to be said. It's cool to have John Paul Jones involved. He's obviously rock royalty. Respect, mad respect. REM released this after selling millions and millions of albums. I guess they can do what they want on their next album. Kudos for them to be in that position. You know, we've talked about that the album is loaded with mortality and loss and mourning and nostalgia. And honestly, I don't give two shits because I don't like three of those four words. That's too much reality <laughs> for me. Yep. Like this, th- those feelings That's fair. through music does absolutely nothing for me. And when this came out, I was 22, 23, dude, I'm in party and mode. I want to put the X in sex. I yep. want to get, I want to get rocked hard, right? This took me four different settings, sittings on the same day to even get through rough, rough month of listens for me. Like, 12 songs, 49 minutes, man, it felt much, much, much longer. I don't have a re- reason to ever listen to this album again. Just did, did, didn't do anything for me. And maybe it didn't hit me at the right time. I don't know, but I don't really, there's not a lot of albums like this that I listen to anyway, because it that's not what I go to music for. So fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So. Ready going to the tracks? Yes, do it. All right. So I'll start this one off. We'll go to Sonny and then Tom. Number 12 for me, New Orleans, the instrumental. Number 12 for me, Sweetness Follows. Number 12 for me is the New Orleans instrumental. Number 11, Star Me Kitten. Number 11 for me, Star Me Kitten. Sweetness Follows, number 11. All right. Number 10 is Sweetness Follows. Number 10 for me was the instrumental. 10, star me kitten. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to fucking put that in. Thanks. Star. Uh, Number nine, try not to breathe. (laughs) Number nine for me, try not to breathe. Uh, number nine for me is the Sidewinder sleeps tonight. Ooh. All right. Um, so number eight for me, night swimming. Wow. Number eight for me, night swimming. <laughs> uh, number, see, this is when my rankings get very difficult because my number eight could be my number one. Um, Monty got a raw deal. Number eight. Yeah, I could go many different ways on this, but this is what I feel like today. Number seven for me is drive. Number seven for me is drive. Wow. So <laughs> number seven for me is everybody hurts. Wow. That's number. Uh, no, that's not. Number you six. Me tell you what your number six is. Because mm-hmm. since we. Why don't you same. tell us the name of this? <laughs> number six for me is Sidewinder Sleeps Tonight. 
All right, we're finally different because number six for me is ignore land. Number six for me is try not to breathe. Number five for me is everybody hurts. Got to be in the right mood. Number five for me is the sidewinder sleeps tonight. Oh boy. Uh, Number five for me is drive. Or reading from Dr. Seuss. (laughs) Number four, Monty the cat. Number four for me, Monty got a raw deal. Number four for me is night swimming. And this is so hard because I love all these songs, but number three is man on the moon. Uh, Number three for me is find the river. Number three for me is man on the moon. Number two for me is ignore land. Number two for me is everybody hurts. Uh, My one and two flip-flopped a lot here. Number two is find the river. Number one for me is find the river. Number one for me is man on the moon. And my number one is ignore land. Woo. Yep. Sonny. Okay. So our top four coming in the four spot was everybody hurts. Coming in the third spot was ignore land. Second spot was man on the moon. And our number one collectively was find the river. Wow. Nice. All right. right. (laughs) Let's go to (laughs) album cover rankings. All right. So here's what we've done so far in order of what we've done. Appetite for Destruction, Slide It In, OU812, Super Unknown, Pyromania, Load, Peace of Mind, Bon Jovi, Blizzard of Oz, Jar of Flies, Winger, Single Soundtrack, Mechanical Resonance, Odyssey, Hailstorm, Detonator, Highway to Hell, Once Bitten, Look What the Cat Dragged In, Hotel California, Back for the Attack, 10, Bad English, Down to Earth, Shout of the Devil, Slave to the Grind, Purple Rain, Heat 2, Use Your Illusion 2, Night Songs, Hail to the King, Black Tiger, Automatic for the People. All right, Tom, uh, my album. So I'll start. I'll tell you what my top five are right now as far as covers. Number five is Slide It In. Number four, Peace of Mind. Number three, Appetite for Destruction. Number two, Blizzard of Oz. Number one, Hotel California. Um, For this one, I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I'm going to put this as number 12 under Black Tiger. Can't believe I'm picking Sonny's album better. But the cover is, meh, it's, I'm only giving it this high because it's one of my favorite albums and the nostalgia feeling for me. So I'll put this at number 12 for me. Sonny? My top five, five is One Spitten, four is Hotel California, three Purple Rain, two Slide It In, and one Peace of Mind. I've got Automatic for the People cover at number 19, below Back for the Attack, and above Use Your Illusion 2. All right. My top five, number five, Appetite for Destruction, four, Peace of Mind, three, Highway to Hell, two, Blizzard of Oz, one, Purple Rain. Uh, this cover is ridiculous. I have absolutely no idea what's going on with it, even after reading it. Uh, yeah, it's going last. Whoa. 
Yeah, I, I just, I mean, it just, it, it's just, it's just stupid. It's just a big thing. I don't like it. So I don't like it. Oh, that's obviously clear. Let's go to album rankings. Uh-oh. Number five for me, Back for the Attack. Number four, Appetite for Destruction. Number three, Pyromania. Number two, Blizzard of Oz. Number one, Hotel California. Ring the bell, Tom. No way. We have a new number one. Yeah, it's my Ooh, it's my favorite album. I can't believe it's knocking out the Eagles. It's my favorite album. It's not my favorite band or maybe top 10 bands. But it's my favorite album. It evokes more emotion probably than any album that I can think of. Okay. Um, yeah, great. Automatic People. We have a new number one. I love me. whenever we get a new number one anything. It's great. Sonny. Uh, for me right now, top five is five is Appetite. Four is Slided In. Three is Hailstorm. Two is Purple Rain. One is Black Tiger. My last right now is Use Your Illusion 2. And automatic for the people is dead last now by a miracle <gasps> mile. Wow. wow. Although, you know what? I don't know why I'm saying wow. I would throw every copy of this I have out the window. That's how bad I did. Not, really it's sure. not surprising. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I knew my- I should have been fucking worse on mine, T. But I'm more <laughs> mature than Sonny. Got nothing to do with that. This is not what I come to music to. That's just, I That's don't fine. come to music for this. I got you. Yep. Uh, all right. My top five is Hail to the King at number five, Mechanical Residence at four, 10 at three, Shout at the Devil at two, Purple Rain at number one. Going into this review, I never imagined that I would have this ranked where I have it ranked because I don't know. It's REM, it's automatic for the people. A couple of songs are good, but spending extended amounts of time with it. And this is why I always think that these rankings are like fluid because in a year I might be like, why do I have it ranked here? That being said, I'm putting automatic for the people at number five. Whoa. Yep. It's too, it's, it's too good of an album. It's just, it's too good of an album. Yep. It's too good. Yep. So nice. This will skew the rankings. You have it one. I have it five. So he has it last. Uh, I love it. Anyways, guys, till next time, in which will be a Patreon pick. And if you thought we had a number one uh, song uh, album before that might change, or a dead last album that might change, holy shit! From what we see right now with Patreon, we don't know the the the, the poll beyond polarizing. At the time of recording, the poll hasn't closed, but uh. October nice. is going to be October could be a trick or treat. Shall we say <laughs> we'll see? Yep. Yep. Well, this is what we do next. So you make me rock hard. My pick this time. I talked to you guys about it, I think. And I couldn't like, I should have just shut my mouth, but I got so excited after seeing it. And it's been a couple of years. It's been out. And that is 
the HBO special Belichick and Saban, The Art of Coaching. It's about an hour and 15 minutes, a little mini documentary about the two, what they consider maybe the greatest coaches in football history. The greatest NFL, Belichick, the greatest college, Saban. And they talk about how, you know, where they came up, how they're friends. And it's beyond fascinating because whether it's like football or like business, whether somebody, one of them was like at, at Microsoft and the other one was at IBM, like these two are geniuses. So whatever profession they chose, I bet you they would be at the top of that profession. And the interactions when they show them talking to each other is on a fucking plane so far ahead of other coaches. It's not even funny. Just like when they're like doing the combine and they're watching some of the players try out. Like Belichick is probably like, you know, I'm not even watching this shit. He just walks over to Saban. It's like, what do you think of this guy? <laughs> you know, and he knows it's Saban telling him it ain't anybody else. And he's like, well, I try to tell people this and this and that. It's it's great. They talk about their triumph. They talk about their worst decisions they've made, and they show clips of that stuff. They talk about their family life, how they became friends, and how they still remain friends. It's fascinating, fascinating stuff. Still haven't seen it yet. Can't believe it. It's great. It's quick. I'll, I'll, I'll one check hour, it out. fifteen minutes, Tom. You would love it. Nice. Yeah, Sonny. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with a Netflix show uh, that just came out about uh, nine, ten months ago now. It's called True Story with uh, Kevin Hart. Have you heard about this? I have not. Okay, so seven episodes. Quick watch, because I think they're like half hour to 40 minute episodes. And basically, Kevin is almost playing himself. Like for a while, I thought it was like, I'm like, is this a documentary or is it this a dramatic show? And in the end, it is a dramatic show. But basically, what he's who is playing is a famous comedian. That's been in movies, making major money, is divorced, has a son he never sees. So like the character is dead on basically his entire life. And you see all the trials and tribulations of a celebrity having family taken advantage of him and, and how he's got to live and blah, blah, blah with a bunch of shit that happens. That's somewhat serious. Wesley Snipes plays his brother. Um, Paul Adelstein plays his manager. Billy Zane is one of the guys in the, uh, 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 in the movie, uh, Theo Rossi plays this crazy fan. It is Kevin Hart playing a comedian in a serious role. Hmm. Interesting. Very odd. Yeah. Kevin Hart does a great fucking job though, because it's hard, you know, like for me, I, I was, I was never a star Wars fan and all that shit. So Harrison Ford to me will always be Indiana Jones. I've had a hard time seeing Harrison Ford do anything else because yep. I keep seeing Indiana Jones. Right. So it's easy for the comedic actors and Jim Carrey's try to separate himself a little bit from that kind of shit. But usually the comedy actors just stick to what they're doing. They're a little bit typecast and why get serious with it anyway. And so initially I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this, especially he, he just playing himself. Like, this would be really tough for him to do. He does really well, really nice. well. So I would uh, check it out. It's called True Story on Netflix. Okay. All right. So uh, thanks to T-Mobile, I now have a free year of Paramount Plus. Um, 
And the first thing I did when I found out that I had a free year of Paramount Plus was to watch The Offer. Uh, I have not finished it, though. Uh, but if for the people that aren't aware, The Offer, uh, it's a 10-part miniseries, a, a dramatic miniseries uh, about the development and the production of The Godfather. And it's told through the eyes of the producer of The Godfather, Albert Ruddy, who's played by Miles Teller, who's fantastic. And it's, I mean, you you don't even need to be a fan of The Godfather, <coughs> Sonny, Thank uh, God. to enjoy this because I think, I mean, I'm, I'm about halfway done with it. Um, it's it's just so goddamn entertaining, and especially for somebody like me that like absolutely adores The Godfather. I mean, they got a guy playing Francis Ford Coppola. They got a guy playing Mario Puzo. They got a guy playing like Columbo, like, you know, and it tells that story about everything that they went through dealing with the mob in New York city, dealing with paramount, trying to get it made, trying to get the casting down pat the, the, the butting heads with the heads of paramount about certain cast members and certain stories. Um, it's just, it it's so fucking entertaining. If I can make one little complaint, the guy that they got to play Frank Sinatra is painful, <laughs> painful. <laughs> if you didn't, if you didn't know anything about who Frank Sinatra was and you watch this, you would think Frank Sinatra was like one of the heads of the five families. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's so bad, but it's, it's, it's extremely entertaining. And I will tell you this. I was really surprised when I was reading about it. The critics don't like it a lot. It it, kind of got a little, it kind of took a little bit of a beating by, by a lot of critics, which was surprising. Um, But yeah, I I mean, if you can get, if you can get access to Paramount plus you, especially if you're a a Godfather fan, you got to watch the offer. Is it documentary or is it dramatic? No, it's a dramatic series. So they have all the act. They have, they have an actor playing Mario Puzo. They have an actor playing Francis Ford Coppola who looks exactly like Francis Ford Coppola. so it's it's just like a dramatic like reimagining of what Albert Ruddy went through trying to get the movie made with Paramount and the run-ins the, that he had with the with the mob because the Italian mob was like you're not getting this fucking movie made it's not happening. Can't um, say the word it, mafia. Yep, yep. It's 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 really fun to watch and like I said, if you're a Godfather fan, it's that much more fun. But Sonny, you do not need to be a fan of the Godfather to watch it. So I do want to watch it. That's why I was asking if it was a documentary because nope. I saw some, I saw something. I can't remember if it was on Amazon or Netflix, maybe one of each. They did something with Lucille Ball and Denny, Desi Arnaz, yes, but it, was it wasn't terrible. a documentary. It was a movie. Yeah. It was a movie. I thought it was pretty good. Actually. That's the one. Isn't that the one with Nicole Kidman? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It was yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. yeah. No, the, the, yeah. the offer it's a, it's a dramatic, uh, 10 part yeah. series. Very, very well made. Yep. Yeah. So, Sonny, where can people find you? Uh, easiest place is uh, Facebook or Twitter. Uh, Growing Up Rock, we've been uh, around five plus years now. Yeah. Podcast Rock City has been around uh, five yeah. plus years too. Uh, seven, I think, actually. I've been on there five years. Um, so all is going well. I'm everywhere. Excellent. All right. Tom? I don't know nothing. but I'm no, you don't, no, you don't know anything. No. Nope. <laughs> nope. You have Y&T rank number one and REM rank last. Yeah. Yep. That's going to be chiseled on your gravestone. That's okay. <laughs> we, we love you anyways. That's why you're here. We like you anyways. We, of course we do. Uh, yeah. So shout it out loudcast. Uh, if this is your first time coming across us, we are an all kiss podcast that drops kiss episodes every Saturday. We do these album review crew episodes with Sonny once a month. Uh, and you can find us on our website, shout it out loudcast.com. 
uh, access to all of our uh, episodes from all of our sidecasts and rankings and lists and all that good stuff. And you can email us at shoutoutloudcast at gmail.com and find us on all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the TikTok for the kids, <laughs> uh, YouTube, all that good stuff. We're available wherever you can listen to podcasts. So check us out. Yeah, I always like to tell people they can DM us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, don't forget to uh, subscribe to our YouTube, YouTube channel and give us one of those five star, star. child reviews. Uh, those are always big help and we're always grateful and love to read those on the air. So that would be a big help to us. Uh, we love these episodes. You can go to our website. You can see where we rank all the albums, the songs. You go to shoutoutloudcast.com, uh, shoutoutloudcast.com. You can see all our selections and all the info on Album Review Crew. Then you can email us. And we love the emails for these specific episodes because some of these episodes are a month apart. So it's nice to be able to track them and keep it all in the same spot so we can read them for you. And that is shoutoutloudcast.com. At gmail.com, shout it out loudcast at gmail.com. And uh, feel free to tell us how many fucking times you uh, threw this uh, CD out the window or uh, that you actually loved it. I got a feeling us, a lot of the rockers here are not going to be happy. But that's because right. rockers are dumb. That's yeah, all right. <laughs> it's all good. Meanwhile, we love, meanwhile, we love Kiss. So what the hell do we Yeah, love? exactly. It's all good. So what we like to do is end with. Famous last words. Sonny, want to lead us off? Sure. Watch the road and memorize this life that passed before your eyes. And nothing is going my way, especially this month when I had to listen to this album all fucking month. (laughs) That part's not actually part of the lyric, but you get what I'm saying. October might not be a better month for you, so brace yourself. <laughs> Gonna get worse. <laughs> All right. Smack, crack, bushwhacked. <laughs> Tie another one to the racks, baby. Hey, kids, rock and roll. Nobody tells you where to go, baby. Did he say bushwhack bill? Yeah, Michael stepped in a duet with the Ghetto Boys. <laughs> ghetto Boys. This year, Halloween fell on a weekend. Me and Ghetto Boys are trick or treating, robbing little kids for bags. <laughs> yeah, that's little it. Person running around stealing bags. <laughs> Bill. All right. If they weren't there, we would have created them. Maybe it's true. But I'm resentful all the same. Someone's got to take the blame. I know that this is vitriol, no solution, spleen venting, but I feel better having screamed. Don't you? You do. Beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Uh, Tom, Sonny, Loudcasters, Kiss Army. All the hate mail from REM fans to Sonny Pooney or all the others come to me. (laughs) Thank you. Always a good time. Uh, Let your feelings known about REM. I can take it. Bring it. Come on. (laughs) 
Oh, it's going to be – there will be more people on your side, son. Come on, oh, totally. Cletus. Come on, totally. Cletus. <laughs> you'll walk over, but you'll limp back. I <laughs> uh, love you guys. Thanks for listening. As always, Sonny, always a blast. Uh, love these monthly episodes. They're a ton of fun. Zeus, as always, my friend, thank you. And people, find the river. <laughs> Peace out, Girl Scout. My wallet's gone! My wallet's gone! 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92%? Because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess. For elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. At Progressive, we know there's nothing like the feeling of riding your motorcycle with your buddies on the open road. It's a potent cocktail of thrills, laughter, and pure adrenaline. A feeling that would be impossible to recreate on the radio. Until now. Hit it, sound effects guy. I'm real proud of you, son. Wow, that was terrible. Our apologies for even trying. Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.